Welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tyron Rama's Hard News on Friday night at BBS Radio Station 1. So we welcome you all here, and we'd like to take a few moments to just go into our heart space and set the tone for the evening and hear that calling drum as we gather around. So take a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Slowly, gently. Go into that heart space. Let go of the dross of the day. And gather with your guides, your guardians, your spirit team, your angel team your totems, your ancestors, whoever you like to journey with the kini drum with. We have the kini drum here. And we're going to call in those seven galactic directions. There's a council fire here as well, and it's in the center. So let us all gather around that council fire. So come in close. In that virtual way, you know how to do it. You stand around that copper bar. Make a circle. And now let us call in those seven sacred directions. The galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. 
welcome from the east, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us, so that we may see all things in clarity. We welcome from the north, the house of night. May wisdom mature among us, so that we may see everything from within. Greet from the West, the house of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. May greet from the South, house of the eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest we might enjoy the fruit of the planetary being. We welcome from above the house of paradise where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. Welcome from below, house of the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmony so that we might end war. And we welcome from the center, source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayam, Hunaku, even Maya, even home. Ayam, Hunaku, even Maya, even home. Ayam, Hunaku, even Maya, even home. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. The whole Mutakuyasa, all my relations. In Lakat, Alakin, I am another you. You are another you. Stay wherever that drumbeat took you. If you take a few moments to look at the Mayan record of days for today and the week ahead. And we are today in eight Lamox, the yellow galactic star. And that galactic tone, modeling, integrity, harmonize are three descriptive words. And the star, beautify. Art, elegance. So the affirmation for this yellow galactic star day. I harmonize in order to beautify modeling art. I seal the store of elegance with the galactic tone of integrity. I'm guided by the power of free will. And do you know that guide? The free will guide? 
<laughs> think, think, think. Guess. It's the human. Free will. Okay. And the tongue guide for um, is the human. So the support guide for today is the monkey. And our challenge teacher today is the mirror, as we look at ourselves. And the occult guide for today and this evening is the Skywalker. So we're in the right place at the right time with that Skywalker as our guide. And uh, <clears throat> that's taking a little closer look at that Lama energy and and know that the, we're in this first way. We're still setting those intentions for this 260-day cycle, and I call it a birth cycle. It's definitely a... <laughs> um, where we're at with 260 days is exactly nine months. So um, let's 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 conceive what we want to bring forth in these next 260 days as we go through the double eight today. It's the triple eight. It's the eighth kin of the of the cycle, and it's the eighth tone and the eighth tribe, Lamont Stargate. So it's a visionary aspect, and we're working on the illumination of humankind with this energy and opening that stargate. So let's embrace these gifts of journeying, that pioneer spirit, having that power to see beyond the gate. We let go of any dissonance or any self-doubt. We embrace these energies today. And then tomorrow, moving on to Saturday, it's a nine-wheel look. The moon, it's the solar moon, and the moon is red. So it's the red solar moon. And it's another artist aspect. Um, well, it is an artist aspect. So we it's that wise use of our rational mind that is our work with that moon. So we're accepting spirit's direction as we tune in and listen to what she has to say and embracing these gifts of having that contact with spirit. And remembering our our mission, what we came here to do, and remembering that universal mind is our mind. So we embrace telepathy and 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 listen. If we let go of any insensitivity or any attachment to omens or any self doubt, we embrace these energies tomorrow on Saturday, and then on Sunday, a ten auk, the white planetary dog which is another artist aspect. So it's about unconditional love. The dog teaches so well. And it's also about healing the pain of the past. So we embrace these gifts of that contact with our spirit guides, our awareness of destiny, our awareness of past lives, and that loyalty we have to humankind. So let's let go of any fears, any unwise use of anger, if we embrace these energies on Sunday and then on Monday, it's the blue spectral monkey in 11 chewing. And it's also the beginning of the last quarter of the moon cycle as it's waning. So let's look at chewing. And that spectral energy is about letting go. So we're going to embrace this artist aspect of the monkey, the chewing. And and balance work and play and pay attention to clarity of mind. 
in that wide use of magical artistry. As we let go of what no longer serves us, we embrace these gifts of innocence and spontaneity and that ability to play and humor. And let's let go of any insensitivity or any jadedness or any resistance to compassion or any mistrust as we embrace these energies on Monday. And then Tuesday's Valentine's Day, and it's on a human day. So it's the yellow crystal human. It's a 12 ebb. And that human energy for Valentine's Day is a healing aspect. So we'll do some good work that way, working with the enlightenment of humankind and activating cosmic consciousness and attuning to spirit. We embrace these gifts of being a human servant warrior and that the gift of our abundance and all the ways that it shows up in that contact with other dimensions. So, and know that love is the answer. So let's go. Let go and surrender any dependence on the analytical mind as we embrace this Valentine's Day on Tuesday, the 12th of the cosmic human. And then on Wednesday, we complete this cycle that we started with the dragon in each as we <clears throat> set forth our goals for this 260-day cycle. Um, the 13 Ben is the Red Cosmic Skywalker. So what a good good way to end this cycle on that Skywalker. Keep on moving. <laughs> it's a warrior aspect, and our work is to focus. We're striving towards self-illumination. It's, it's about clarity. So we embrace these gifts of strength and that ability to bend dimensions as we let go of any resistance to faith or any belief in aloneness. That's all oneness. <laughs> we can believe in that. And then on Thursday, we begin a new way. It's the wave of the wizard. And so it's the white magnetic. The magnetic tone is the first tone. Wizard. And our guidance for this way will be to seek the truth and and seek true spirituality. So the magician is a visionary aspect, so that makes that a good thing to, to do with this energy for the next 13 days starting on Thursday will be in that cycle of the magician. So our work here is the illumination for others and clarity of mind and purpose. So let's embrace these gifts of being that shaman and working with that jaguar medicine and that integrity and, be, and working in accordance with divine will. We let go of any control issues or any personal power issues. Let go of manipulation. As we embrace these energies for this week beginning on Thursday, that first day of it. And then Friday is the second day of the wave. <clears throat> it's man, the eagle. So it's the blue lunar eagle. And it's a visionary aspect. And that eagle is about our commitment to service and moving consciousness to source. We reconnect with all creation, with this energy, as we embrace these gifts of independence and belief in ourselves. 
let us let go of any feelings of despair, any dissociation, or the illusion of separateness. So we embrace these energies on Friday. We'll talk about it some more when we come back on Friday. And, uh, yeah, what else? So that's it. That's the um, Mayan uh, record of days as we move forward and surf this Nivulia, as we call it, each wave. And uh, I'm going to change my hat. As we are listening to support at radio program, it's all of us that make it happen. And so each week we have expenses with BDS Radio, and we also assist Tara and Rama with their needs. So with BDS Radio, we need $260 each week this month, and um, so we're a week behind, so we need $520. And uh, here's how we make a donation to uh, BBS Radio, you go to bbsradio.com and click on Radio Station 1 for this program and for the Thursday program. And you'll see a menu there for the the different times. What you're looking for is our iCard listing on the menu. So you'll find it at the 6 o'clock hour, as these are Pacific times. On Thursday is the night at the round table with the panel. You can click on that icon there. And this program Hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama at the 6 o'clock hour. You can click on that icon there. Either one will take you directly to our account with PBS Radio, where you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. So it's easy to do, folks, and thank you for showing up and doing that. We're a little, we're a week behind, and we've got good to catch up as we can. And... Um, <laughs> And then, of course, on, um, what else? Oh, yeah, as you, as you do that, you support all of us, and we're grateful to be gathering each week this way. And then we're also assisting Tara and Rama with um, their needs. And this week they have three bills that they need $305 to cover. And... Um, they also have living expenses of $200. So it's almost the same amount of money. That's funny how that goes that way. <laughs> $505 for Tara and Rama. So we're grateful for all the donations that come your way. Thank you for gifting in this way. And may you get many returns. Here's how we make a donation to Tara and Rama. You want to access Rama's PayPal account. You can do that two ways. One way is go to the rainbowroundtable.net. That's our internet site. And there on the home page, you click on the menu grid. There will be a donate link near the bottom of that list. And as you click on that, that will take you directly to uh, the Rainbow Roundtable account with PayPal. And then as you just go to paypal.com and put in Rama's email there, you can access the friends and family option. And so that email for Rama at PayPal, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999949, at hotmail.com. And either way, it's perfect. We're grateful for all your donations. So, uh, so much gratitude for you taking that action. As you're sending something to Tara and Rama, let them know their email address for that. Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 
net. And and you need it. Um, the mailing address is Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, with a zip code 87567. 87567. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 13 thank you then, honey, in the heart. Uh, so much gratitude for all of you and all the ways that you show up. And so I'm packing this talking stick. And... It's got that energy of, oh my gosh, it's got the energy of truth, that's for sure, but it's got that Stargate energy on it too. So we're seeing star beings, little ones, and we're seeing lots of fairies and feathers in all the little people and Quetzalcoatl and Excalibur and that sort of truth. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. Coming your way. Greetings. Greetings. All you commanders, eagles, and angels. If you think you're flying high, you are. <laughs> Uh, the energies are way up there, as Rama's records saying today. And I'll just read what we've got so far, and Rama will finish it, because the afternoon went like zippity-doo-dah, and it's like, here we are, so we are where we are. <laughs> and that's the word. So here, I'm going to move this so you can... Make sure you can hear me. So this is Rama, and he says, I received a text message from Tom the Ringtail Cat, Larry, and Curly at 12.35 p.m. early this afternoon. They said to me, Lord Rama, we are at Stonehenge again. So we're estimating it was around 7.30 in the evening there when it's 12.35 here. I believe it's seven hours at this time. Mm -hmm. So it's like sunset. We have opened another portal. And we can see through the portal that Mother Gaia is sending out the emerald green ray and the rose-colored ray of Lady Master Mother Mary. So we ask all of you, to also send these healing rays in particular to Turkey and to north um, Northwestern. northwestern Syria for the 23 to 25,000 people who have now already gone over the rainbow in the last four days. in the last four days and in the last 24 hours uh, this is just something we're bringing up. Um, uh, I, I, they are identifying something as a UFO, an unidentified flying object. 
uh, at an altitude of 40,000 feet. This is in the news. I'm just, it came right through. That's why we didn't get finished writing this. Uh, and they are saying that um, uh, it was assessed uh, and it posed, that it posed a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flight. Out of an abundance of caution, therefore, at, at the recommendation of the Pentagon, President Biden ordered the military to down the object. This is not a good thing. I was just talking to Rama, and I'm just saying, well, also, you know, Revenge of the Sith came up from the last time. China said, you give us back. I don't care how many parts you got of that balloon. It's ours. Give it back. And as far as I'm hearing, that didn't happen. So, and this is the same pattern. It came in, the balloon came in through the Aleutian Islands over there in Alaska. Here's the same pattern. So this could be another something or another from the Revenge of the Sith of China. That's just, that's just my guess. Anyway, so that's just, I'm putting that out because it's there. A U.S. fighter jet shot down suspected Chinese spy balloon last Saturday. And so now they shot a UFO. The title of the one now is on the top. It says UFO shot down. That sounds like the deep state making a real nasty assumptions. Like, And I just was asking Rama that as they decide to you know, do the big thing, like completely bring thousands and thousands and thousands of starships all the way in and land all over the planet. Are they going to let the uh, military go berserko and do stuff? And what's the answer? I don't think they'll be able to. I think the energies will be so high, they'll be flat on their noses and they'll just be sitting there unable to practically move, right? I would say... Out of ecstasy and bliss. Well, there'll be bliss balls. Captain <laughs> Astar knows how to raise it up all the way for folks to be in bliss and not think about war. No more war. No more war. Okay, so then um, Rama's report continues. The energies continue to flow in way up there. Meaning... And then I thought of the song, We All Fly Like Eagles, oh so very high, circling the universe on wings of pure light. Oh, Chichawa, oh yeah. Maybe you should play that song when we come back, Rama. I think it's a great song. So what's the rest? you got to tell us the rest, Rama, because it's just what... And then we got some things to play. Um, getting there... <laughs> You're supposed to have that in order. Oh my goodness. Um, what Tom, Larry, and Curly are saying is at this point, we know how overwhelming 
these energies feel when something like this happens in the world and it affects everyone. And what they're saying is to stay in that centered place, not allow the chaos to get to you and to work with the quantum field as we can tune into that and stay in a centered place and work with the emerald green ray and the rose colored ray and send these energies out. It helps us, it helps all parties involved and um, that's basically what they said because this is getting larger by the day this story about the earthquakes and they found a whole family today out of the rubble again a whole family a whole family was pulled from the rubble alive alive wow yeah how big was the family maybe four or five people in other words a mother and a father and kids three kids yeah that just means there's more. And Blaze of Violet Fire, I mean, this is an ongoing fluid situation. And I was talking to somebody on the phone today, too, and uh, we were remembering that the, uh, the quake, the big quake in Haiti, I think 12, 13 days later, they were pulling people alive out of that rubble. Yeah. And they lied. They said something like 200-something thousand people, and it was over a million people that actually died there. So, okay, Rama, so what's the the final word? To just work with the energies of the emerald green ray and the rose-colored ray and send these energies out to Turkey and Syria and... As we're doing that, it's also lifting us higher each moment. Okay. So let's just say that um, um, yeah, blaze the violet fire. Okay, Rama, let's play some of these things. They're a few little tidbits, but they're very good. How about we start with um Teresa Ballard and Greg Braden, that seven-minute piece. Okay. And Um, it says here that um, reality versus dystopia. Okay, I have to find that one. Um, Just a second. Okay, you might have to turn the I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-White, and this is Quantum Minds TV.
so many of the indigenous traditions from the shamans in, in the Yucatan uh, and the Andes of Peru and when I was in Tibet and certainly the aboriginals and uh, when I'm with uh, the Bedouin in Egypt, they all begin these processes in, in the heart uh, and with breath. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, that I think is is one of the keys to practically applying this inner technology and and the alchemy is part of this because we are changed in the presence of our coherence. We are changed biologically and we change the, the way we feel emotionally. Well, it's so interesting, too, because in the fetus, the very first organ that starts to operate is the heart. And and so and then it it starts to uh, create a harmonic with the mother's heart. And so and then the ear and the brain start to be programmed by that early heartbeat within the fetus. And, you know, so you have the heartbeat of the mother, the breath of the mother, the heartbeat of, of the baby. And, and then these are programming and sending the signals up to the brain for it to be developed. And, you know, so these are the early rhythms. And then for it to also have this 0.1 hertz resonance with the fundamental frequency of the earth's magnetic energy um and that is you know like tuning into that heartbeat of mother gaia as well and isn't it that this 0.1 hertz also is a resonant energy that runs through the vagus nerve is the the vagus nerve kind of is that main nerve that connects the the brain and the heart and gut and all the organs it's, and it's like the, it's like the super highway it begins right at the base of the skull and goes down uh into the 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 base of the spine and it has so many access points. When you look at the uh, at the vagus nerve, it has access points out to the eyes. And so there are eye movements that can stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, it has access points to the, to the mouth. And that's why when you smile, you're actually triggering that, uh, that relaxation response into the lungs. That's why the breath is important. Into the genital area. And that's why many of the ancient uh, tantric practices also tie tie into this so it's it's like the super highway of of the information yeah. uh and that's why it's been so so important and you know so many traditions yeah. yeah well what i love is that these ancient traditions without knowing the science about it they through experience learned the tools and the methods that again the power was in their own hands to harness these uh, you know things within us and they didn't know the, the the ins and outs of what was going on in the body but they did know from an experiential level the impact that it was having upon us and they saw not only was it having on them as an individual at a subjective level but they saw that as they taught those same methods meditations chants and you know working with different musical instruments and so forth, the breath work, all of these things, they passed them on through the generations and saw that, yeah, these tools work for everybody when they use them. And uh, and so that's, again, speaking to that inner technology that is the best technology that we can learn to harness. Well, it is. It is true. So now I'm going to come back the other direction. We live, because this isn't happening in a vacuum, we live in a society where we're being conditioned that we are flawed as a species, that we need something outside of us to be healthy in our bodies and to be successful in life. It's a great way to drive consumerism. (laughs) Well, it it is. Uh, And technology is being touted as the savior Mm -hmm. and uh, the replacement of biology with technology. So I'll make a distinction. There are different levels of this. You know, if, if we use contact lenses, that's an external technology 
that that helps us in the world, and, and I think that's fine. We begin replacing skin and organs and tissues and uh, and neurons with artificial intelligence on computer chips embedded into the tissue. That's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what the science is, uh, just I'm just research the articles on this. I didn't know we we're going to talk about it. I don't have them here, but the science is very very clear that. We have the the biological adage is use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. So if we don't use our systems and if we don't use the neurons in the cells, our body assumes that they're not needed and they stop producing them. So we now know, for example, that we produce new neurons in the brain up until the last breath of life. We used to think it was a fixed number and, and we know it's not. But we also know that when a, a new neuron is produced, it must be engaged in a meaningful way within two weeks of production or it will atrophy and die mm-hmm. because it's not being used. So so now think about it. we got three three year old kids, they wake up in the morning, they eat their Captain Crunch, you know, crispies or whatever it is for breakfast, they go sit in the living room and they put on a VR visor, you know, a virtual reality visor, and for hours they are watching uh colors intense colors that they would never see in the backyard mm-hmm. and they are seeing sounds and sights but here's the key it's all being done for them so they are observers rather than using their imagination mm-hmm. and their creativity we did when we were kids to make forts in right. you know in the backyard and to, and to make alternative realities of experience and now the studies are showing, first, the visual cortex is thickening in the young people, which impacts their cognitive abilities, and not necessarily in a good way, uh, but their developmental abilities, their socialization with other kids, naturally, uh, is waning because they're, they're not doing it. But they, uh, their cognitive abilities, their cognitive development is, is being impacted because they are not being stimulated to do these things on their own. This is yeah. the first, gener- first generation where this has happened. And- this conscious conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-Wyke in collaboration with Greg Brady and edited by Verse Content and HH Films and Photo. The theme music was created by Tim Mountain of Even Load Productions. Quantum Mind C- Okay, let's jump. They kind of decided to play a clip i think of a bigger one and okay so the next one is bruce lipton this is a five minute 50 second and it's called uh rewrite your dna here we go when i say genetic control that's the belief that genes control our characters when i say epigenetic control almost sounds the same but epi means above. So when I say epigenetic control, literally it's control above the genes. And this is what we now recognize that the environment and very specifically our perception of the environment changes our genetic activity. So that means, well, wait, that's not a victim because I can change my environment. I can change my perception. And all of a sudden, if I can do that, then I can control my genes. Well, we're going from victim to mastery. Every human, and this is a fact, 
Every human first seven years is uh, is download a hypnosis. The brain of a, a child under seven is in a lower vibrational frequency. When you put wires on a, a person's head, you read electroencephalograph, reading brain activity. A child below seven has a lower vibration than consciousness. It's called theta. Theta is imagination. Oh, that's how kids play a, a tea party with mud pies. But to them, it's a real thing. A kid rides a broom. It's a horse. It's that's theta, imagination. Theta is also hypnosis. And the idea is this: before you can become conscious, if you don't have any programs, what are you going to be conscious of? It's sort of like I buy a new iPod and I take it out of the box and I push play and nothing happens and you think, oh my God, I spent all the money and damn thing isn't working. And then some little seven-year-old kid comes up and says, well, you, Mister, you you didn't download any music. How are you going to play something? And I go, that's the same thing.、Uh, It's like the brain is like the iPod. Consciousness is the screen where I can create. But if I don't have anything in the hard drive, I can't create. So nature makes the first seven years. How? What kind of programs are required to live on this planet? I say, how do you get them? Theta is hypnosis. You just watch. You watch your parents. You watch your siblings and your community because you have to learn how many hundred thousand rules. Think about it. Just to be a functional member of a family and a functional member of a community, there are rules. I teach an infant these rules. It's like、oh, you don't have to. First seven years, they just they observe it and just download it. And, and and then I say, why is it relevant? Because this is the unfortunate fact. Ninety-five percent of our life, this is a fact, comes from those programs in the subconscious. Every day, only about five percent of the life are you using conscious, which is creative. Five percent. Look, this is not new. I mean, there's a famous book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. And basically said, you come from a poor family, and you could struggle your whole life and try to get rich, but you're not going to make it. And if you come from a rich family, you could be stupid your whole life and make it. Not because it was thinking, but it was unconscious behavior that was downloaded from rich families into kids,、uh, which is unconscious. So they're they're making the right moves unconsciously. If they engage their conscious mind, then they look stupid. But it's unconscious, and that's the same thing with poor people. Poor people have beliefs from the family. Oh, you can't make it. Life's a struggle. Things are hard. Who do you think you are? And if that's the program you get, then 95% of the day you will sabotage yourself. And that's why poor people stay poor and rich people stay rich because the programming. Well, you see, here's the problem: seven years of programming. And I say, well, what program did you get when you were zero or, or one? You go, I have no idea what the hell the program was. I say, ah. Ninety-five percent of your life is coming from the subconscious. Your life is a printout of your subconscious behavior. Oh, so you don't have to try and think about what happened. I just say, look at your life. The things you like that come into your life come in because you have a program that supports them. But anything you struggle with, work hard at, put a lot of effort into making it happen. Why are you working so hard? Inevitably. You have a program that doesn't support that conclusion, and you're trying to override the program. So、uh, you don't need to do a lot of strength and psychology stuff. You just look at your life and say, "Where am I struggling?" Because wherever you're struggling, inevitably, is a program in your subconscious that does not support that destination you've been looking for. I had the knowledge academically. It's like, oh my God, look at the research. What does it mean? I, I understood it from the level, and with all that knowledge, it didn't change my life. Uh, people read self-help books. I go, well, you read the book. You got a lot of knowledge. I say, is your life changed? No, but you got a lot of knowledge. And so here's the difference: the conscious mind 
uh, is creative and can learn in any number of ways. Read a self-help book, go to a lecture, listen to this program, and conscious mind's going to get some awareness. And I go, yeah, but subconscious mind doesn't learn that way. I go, right, doesn't. Subconscious mind learns in two fundamental ways, naturally. Hypnosis, which is the first seven years. And after age seven, how do you put new programs in? Repetition. Practice. You want to drive a car? You didn't learn learn how by just getting in the seat with the key in. You had to practice driving the car. You want to learn uh, the alphabet. How many times did you go from A to Z? Uh, you know, try to go to A to Z before you can complete it. And once you completed it, you didn't have to go back and do it again. So two phases. You want to train the subconscious mind. Hypnosis. Uh, repetition. The, uh, I like the last one because there's a new phrase that's bandied about called fake it till you make it. Mm. Meaning if you're not a happy person, I say you want to be a happy person, then repeat all the time. I'm happy. I'm happy. I say, well, you don't look happy or anything. They say, no, I, who am I talking to? By repetition, I'm talking to subconscious. Okay. If subconscious gets I am happy and 95% of your life comes from that subconscious, there will be a point once the subconscious got I am happy, you don't have to say it again. All right. Rama, give us the phone numbers. We'll continue this conversation on our conference call. Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, you can say that one more time in case somebody new wants oh. to join. 720-716-7301, and the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. So we'll see you there, everyone, and uh, we'll be right back here at the top of the next hour, back at BBS Radio, the best radio in the universe, and the universe is expanding in everybody's field of awareness. So be it. See you got in the conference, everyone. Namaste for now.
Hi, Precious Heart. Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. As we birth this new year, 2023, the company of heaven revealed to us that during this 12-month cycle, you and I and the rest of awakening humanity will be given unique opportunities to develop the latent abilities encoded within our 12 fifth-dimensional crystalline solar strands of DNA. We are being told that many of these opportunities will involve an awakening and a shift in our awareness that will be triggered by influxes of light that will affect every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of life on Earth in powerful ways. This process began in the month of January, during which we experienced unusually powerful solar flares from our physical sun and the central suns in Earth's lineage. These X-class and M-class solar flares opened a portal of light that allowed humanity to receive higher frequencies of solar light codes than we have been able to previously withstand at a cellular level. This prepared us for an unprecedented cleansing within the physical, etheric, mental, and emotional strata of Mother Earth. In addition to the influx of light from the suns in our system of worlds, on February 1st and 2nd, a very rare green comet passed by the Earth. Scientists say the last time we experienced this comet was over 50,000 years ago. People often think of comets as just dirty snowballs, but that is not true. Every particle and wave of life in the whole of creation has a degree of intelligence and a purpose and reason for being. Literally nothing is happening by accident or happenstance. The company of heaven has told us over the years that the pathways of comets and meteors are divinely guided. When a comet or meteor passes through our solar system, it shakes the ethers and shatters the dense and discordant thought forms and negative patterns from humanity's past that are still pulsating in the ethers. Once the thought forms for those obsolete human miscreations have been shattered, it is much easier for you and me and the rest of awakening humanity to transmute back into light the residue of the mutated primal light substance that formed those distorted patterns. We can easily accomplish this essential cleansing activity of light by invoking the new fifth dimensional frequencies of our Father Mother God's violet flame of cosmic forgiveness. We are being told by the company of heaven that due to the incredible shifts of energy, vibration, and consciousness that have taken place within the hearts and minds of humanity since the birth of this new decade, 
the light of God flowing through every person's heart flame, is pushing more of our obsolete human miscreations to the surface to be healed than ever before. Consequently, the powerful green comet that passed by the Earth on February 1st and 2nd was able to shatter more of the thought forms and patterns from our obsolete and distorted human miscreations than we have previously experienced. The grossly mutated electronic light substance from these shattered miscreations is now ready and can be easily transmuted back into light with the violet flame. Today, we are being asked by the company of heaven to join them in an activity of light during which we will invoke the most intensified frequency of the violet flame of God's cosmic forgiveness that humanity and the earth are capable of receiving. Together, we will transmute into light the atomic and subatomic particles and waves of humanity's shattered miscreations from the past. If you have the heart call to participate in this powerful opportunity, please join with me and lightworkers around the world now. And we begin. I am my I am presence and I am one with my Father, Mother, God. I am one with the solar logos from suns beyond suns. I am one with the legions of light associated with our Father, Mother, God's fifth dimensional violet flame of cosmic forgiveness. And I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child on earth. On this holy day, through the divine intervention of these beings of light now gathered in the atmosphere of earth, I invoke from the very core of creation the most intensified frequencies of God's fifth dimensional violet flame of cosmic forgiveness that humanity and the earth are capable of receiving at this time. Beloved legions of light, use this gift of cosmic forgiveness to instantaneously transmute back into light every electron or precious life energy associated with humanity's past miscreations, which have now been shattered by the passing green comet. Breathe through every person's heart flame the most intensified frequency of God's violet flame of cosmic forgiveness that universal law will allow. Blaze the full divine momentum of this incomparable frequency of forgiveness in, through, and around every electron of precious life energy that has ever been misqualified by the sons and daughters of God 
in any time frame or dimension, both known and unknown. Legions of light sustain this activity of cosmic forgiveness with every elevated holy breath humanity takes. Intensify this gift of divine forgiveness until every electron of precious life energy that has been or ever will be misqualified by the free will choices of humanity is transmuted back into light, cause, core, effect, record, and memory. Now, I accept and know that through this activity of light, these electrons of precious life energy from humanity's past miscreations are mercifully being transmuted back into their original perfection by the fifth dimensional violet flame of cosmic forgiveness. Now, beloved ones, I command through the presence of God, I am, that you permanently seal every particle and wave of this transmuted precious electronic light substance in an invincible force field of our Mother God's comprehensive divine love, now and forever. And so it is, beloved, I am that I am. Dear one, now, breath by breath, Allow this profound truth and this gift of cosmic forgiveness to register in your conscious mind and in your heart flame. God bless you. I look forward to being with you next week. Patty, that was wonderful. We're almost getting there. <laughs> Are you having a challenge? All right, here we go. Got the sound up, honey. Allow the energy and the information of today to just softly sink in and know that it will unfold like a beautiful soft spiral as your day, your evening, your weekend progresses. And right now, right here, you can feel the love that spirit has for you because you are here today. You took this time from your life to be in this room with the entourage of Cryon, with the family that's here, and with the love that is here. Each one of you knows love in a different way. 
And when you bring that here to this room, to this gathering, all of the aspects of love are present for you, for each one of us. Take another breath. And know that in that beautiful soup of love, everything about love is here for you. Everything you are, everything you bring, and everything love can give you. And if you'd like, just bring your hand to your heart center and touch your heart and say a nice, soft, internal thank you. Thank you to this beautiful friend in your chest that goes everywhere with you and reminds you of the blessing of love, of human love, of the beauty of what you deserve as an honored and loved human. Greetings, dear ones. I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. There are so many messages that we have given over the years. And each time it begins, and each time my partner sits in the chair, He's unaware of what's coming, but he's often presented with emotions. And the emotions come from that which is the other side of the veil and often corresponds with the kind of message that is going to be given. And if it's going to be scientific, there'll be a certain kind of emotion. If it's going to be informational, certain kind of emotion. But when it's going to be about the love from the other side of the veil to you, he knows it. And that's what this is. We go from channelings which are filled with revelation, history, beauty, to ones that are simply loving with no agenda of teaching. This is an exposition of who you are. And to do this correctly, I want to tell you this. Again and again, I said this. You need to hear it now, again. Those of you in the chairs need to hear it. I know who's here. Spirit knows who's here. The creative source who made you knows who's here. You do not live in some kind of vacuum. And yet it feels that way, does it not? It feels like you are surrounded by yourself and that's it. And we've said it over and over. This is the situation that you create as a human being the circumstances of being linear. That it's just you, one body. 
And as you walk around, it's just you. But that is not the case at all. The soul that you have, that you call many things, the higher self, that which is grander, the innate, goes way beyond that which walks around in biology. There's pieces and parts of you that are connected to every single other human on earth. There are pieces and parts of you that are connected to the other side of the veil. You belong to what is called the soup of God. A group, not just of entities, a group that is the fiber of all things. The peace of God that is in you. The section of God that is in you is connected to all things. And that hides so completely from you. It hides so much that those of you in sorrow and depression, frustration, who go into the corner by yourself, never understanding that there are so many with you, never understanding that connection you have to the other side of the veil it's always there the energy of consciousness on this planet literally has dictated the closet you're in the teaching that you've had even since birth has dictated who you think you are and who you are is so much bigger that's been our message for so many years and getting you to realize it is what the channelings are all about. And so we do it yet again in a different way. But all of the things that we do are slowly graduating into clearer and clearer metaphors. I'm going to give you another one tonight. So profound this could be for you, if you let it, if you let it. It's more than a story, much more. And every single piece of it means something else. And that is the way teaching works. You peel the onion of revelation of what is being said in my partner's language into something that becomes what is felt and actionable with you. Actionable is a term we use which means applying to the reality of your life. Something that is actionable for you is more than you listening. It is you becoming. As I tell this story about a human who has a vision Visions are interesting, and you would define vision differently from person to person. But let's define it for this story. The human being who steps out of three-dimensional reality for just a few moments and sees things not in his or her world. A vision, a presentation of a grand truth 
with things that hide, things that are revealed, and things that you can revisit later in your memory. Some of the prophets walked this planet that were the most profound had visions, even before they began, of who they would be, what would happen to them. This is a vision of one human, a human who has no name, a human who stands in front of a door in this vision. And it's an enormous door. And on the title, on the door, the title of the door, on a sign, it says, the library of self. A funny term to have a library of self. But the human who opens this door knows that inside there will be a great deal to learn. A library would indicate volume after volume of information. Of self would indicate to the individual that it might be personal. If the self was of the human who opens the door. The human doesn't open the door. The human calls for a guide to open the door. Now, this is because in this vision, it is necessary to have an outside source reveal for the vision. And so in comes a nameless guide with an enormous key ring. <laughs> this particular guide will then accompany the human in this library because what the human is about to see will require more doors, more unlocking, more revelations, more metaphors, and a little mystery. The guide opens the door. Now here is a metaphor where the guide is not talking to the human yet. It's understood that the guide shows up with a key because the human wants to get in. The door is unlocked. And as it's opened, it's obvious it has not been opened for a very long time. The door's hinges squeak with age. A dim light is there, but the light starts to increase as the human goes in. Without an apparent switch or torches or anything you might expect to create the light, the human arrives and the light is turned on. And immediately the human does not see a library with shelves or books, but a hallway with more doors. And the doors have names on them of things you would expect in a library, subjects to be discovered, to be examined. There is no necessarily order in this hallway. The human can start anywhere. The human in question with this vision sees the labels and the first one is how things work.
is really interesting. You might have even labeled it physics or science or chemistry. It's how things work. He sees some of the other labels on the other doors. There's one called history, one called past. There's one called relationships. There's, there's subjects. And in every library, he doesn't know what to expect. Behind each door, could it be a, a giant room filled with books, information? A library of self. He motivates immediately toward how things work, looks at the guide, the guide gets out the key. Now, they didn't exchange any words and there was no permission. May I go in? There was none of that. There was, guide, would you please open the door? There was none of that. He simply looked at the door and the guide arrives with the key. The door is open and a vast room is revealed. How it works, literally, is all of the processes of the universe, all of the physics, all of the chemistry, even the multidimensionality of entanglement and beyond, consciousness that becomes physics, graduate planets, how it works, thousands of books, balconies of books, ladders that would reach seemingly to the sky with a light. And he realizes, I'll never get through this. I'll never get through this. The reaction is interesting to the human who looks at it and says it's overwhelming. I don't think I'll begin. And yet the things that are closest to him on the ground floor seem to be germane or that is to say relevant to his life. How things work for him. For her in this human. And the human begins to read certain things and finds, oh my goodness, I never knew this. That explains this. Wow, think of the things in this room. If I could only stay here. In the vision, there is an assumption of a time, a time that is going to end. In other words, the clock is ticking for the vision. And he can't stay very long. And so the human knows that there is no time to study everything. But the vision says it's all there. The human wants to go to some of the other rooms. If there's time, I'll come back. This one is absolutely fascinating. It's all about how things work. And some of these things explain what has happened to me. How things work is not just physics and chemistry. Wow, it's intertwined with my life on how things have happened physically for me in this lifetime, what it is. Can you imagine such a library that touches on the core of what you've been through from your birth to now? You overwhelmed with the fact that all was known and is in a book. He leaves the library, closes the door, and it's locked. 
Now, there is a symbolism here that says that the human is only allowed to look at one library at a time. That symbolism is that the human is linear, still linear. In this vision, still linear. But as the humans begin, the human begins to open the doors, he realizes that even that is starting to change. Could it be that the human is changing even as the library is examined? That's something to think about. He peeks at another door which says history. He's not really into a lot of history, but he knows that beyond that door there are things that no one knows. Some things that have been mysteries forever. He looks at the label on the door and the guide opens the door. Again, he enters a light starts to come with him as he steps around and he starts to see another library segmented into areas, civilizations that he's never heard of. The ones he has heard of is one section, the ones he's never heard of in other sections. And there are section after section after section, civilization after civilization, names he doesn't know, writing he doesn't recognize, phenomenal. The ones he does recognize, he sees, he recognizes the words of the civilizations that he knows about. And he starts to read. And he says, I never learned that in school. I didn't know that. Look at, look at this. They were here before these and those and wow. This is an amazing thing. Things that go beyond anything that I've ever learned in school are right here, right here. Again, he's, he's cognizant of the clock. He realizes there are so many rooms, there are huge libraries to see. Oh, there are so many volumes, thousands, tens of thousands, describing civilization, history, how things work, how he's related to all of it. He exits this library and goes back into the hall and sees the next room is called the past. <laughs> What's the difference between history and the past? He's about to find out. He looks at the label on the door and it opens. The guide is there with the key, different keys, different doors. The light follows him in because of his presence as a human. And then he sees it, not books, but crystals. And each crystal has its own story. And he realizes just from the training that he has had as an old soul, he has entered the library of the cave of creation. And in this is not history, unless you call is her history. It's the history of the human. Each crystal represents a lifetime on the planet. Like some other metaphors we've given, other caves, he touches the crystal and immediately is given the story of himself in another time. 
She has another name, this human. He has another name, this human. There is another gender. One time a man, one time a woman. They're not lined up in any order. They're all the same size. And there are thousands. Overwhelmed he is, she is, with the profundity of what is there. It occurs to this human. That they have been here forever. As long as earth has allowed humans to be here. There's a crystal for every lifetime. We once gave you a metaphor, a puzzle. And it involved Jason and the cave. And in that, the human called Jason was so enamored with touching the crystals that he never got out. (laughs) He spent his life touching crystals to find out who he used to be. That's how attractive this is. But he, she, didn't spend that long because there were more. There were more things to show and tell. I'll come back here if I can. It's fascinating. Just a few crystals that were touched brought him, her, into a lifetime with all the facts and the people, the relationships were there. It's almost like the human was living it again. You've gone from books to crystals. You've gone from how it works on paper to touching a crystal and having other visions within a vision. The further you go, the more doors that are open, the more you become multidimensional outside of linearity. Out in the hallway, more doors, more labels. There was one that was attractive, and yet it wasn't. I'll just go there right now. A label on the door. Death. Do I go there or not? What does it mean? Is this vision someplace where I'm going to die? Behind the door is there an indication of how long I last. Doesn't have a very good name to a human being, does it? Death. He, she looks at the door. Nothing happens. Where's the guide with the key? I'm brave. I'll see what it does. I'll see what happens here. Where's the door? Key. Where is the guide? And then the human looks at the door closely and sees there is no doorknob. (laughs) I want you to get this clear. The room is fake. You can't open it. It doesn't exist. The metaphor of the library and the room and the door. There is no death. Profound it is for you to see this, for the human to realize this in the vision. Death would mean that the soul does not exist. And it always does and always has and will forever. In the vision, 
of metaphysical things and the truth. There is no death. There is no way to open the door. There is no way to unlock the door. It's something that doesn't exist. And if you could open it, it would be a brick wall. Are you getting this? More doors, more labels, more things to see. There's a there's one called relationships. What could be in there? You already had the crystals to talk about what you've ex- lived and what you've expressed and You've had indication of of how things went for you. You've had your past lives, all of these things, science, history. It had to encompass relationships. So what could be behind this door? It gets better as it goes, doesn't it? (laughs) Looks at the door and out comes the guide. And this time the guide speaks. And the guide says, be ready for this. And unlocks the door. The human walks in. And the light goes with him, her. And inside, there's a party going on. And it's a party with everyone that human has ever been involved in, in all the lifetimes on the planet. The ones they've loved and lost, the ones they still know, it's almost like every soul was there. And they look young and they look beautiful, just like they they met them the first time. If it's a mother or a father, From any lifetime, it's when they were young and beautiful. With you as a child, if it's a spouse, it's when you married them. If it's a sister or a brother, it's when you knew them as a child. And they're all there together. And the music is beautiful. And it's so emotional. Because it's real. You see, there was no death. Are you getting this? There was no depth. The room of relationships is a promise to you, dear human being, a promise, a reality that you should know is in your library. There's a party outside. (laughs) One more door. It's an interesting door because this door becomes multidimensional and not necessarily understandable. And it's called future. The guide opens the door, the human goes in. The light is enormous, bigger than it ever has been when generated by the human in any other library. It's the biggest room of all. Enormous. But what makes it strange is it's totally and completely empty. (laughs) Do you get the idea? It's empty because it hasn't been created. 
There are those in this room and listening to this channel that believe the future even of this life they have now is going to be filled with the same kinds of problems and strife that they've had all their life. It's not an empty room. It doesn't have them creating anything. They don't have the ability to understand that tomorrow is a blank page and that you do not have to carry the burdens of yesterday into tomorrow. But what you have today that makes you fearful, you can drop on the floor right now and walk into a light that is your creation for tomorrow, a new human that you are. The doors are shut. The light goes dim. The vision is over. Those of you who wish to analyze this will find stories within stories. Everything means something else. But let me tell you something that you probably have already gathered. The multidimensional human being that you are in your own DNA has this library existing. It is in you today. It is yours. And you don't need a vision to access it. This is the promise of the shift. The ones who seeded you finally were able to walk into this library themselves of their own to see who they were, what they could do, how everything works. The physics of consciousness, the benevolence of belief, the beauty of compassion. As they walked through a society that eventually had no more war. A society that could see the God within and the God without until it finally merged. This is possible with this planet and this civilization because of the shift that has just occurred a few years ago. You are on the infancy, in the infancy, of something enormously grand that will develop over lifetime after lifetime. That is what has happened on this planet. This library inside you exists. Some of you, if you wish, may open any door. You don't need a guide. Dear ones, the guide was necessary in the old energy. The keys are yours. If you want to know really what happened, as you enter what we call the 11th civilization on this planet, you want to know really what happened in that shift in 2012? The whole setup of the nodes and the knolls, the magnetics, all of that gave you the keys to the library. It's here. It's inside you. It's magnificent. And it's discoverable in all of its pieces and parts. Which one are you going to go to first? Which one? You're all very different. You all have the issues that a human who is unique has. And each of you will decide based upon this short little channel. Which library room do you want to enter first? What do you need? And I will tell you. You've got a ring of keys for all the doors. 
except one. There is no death. The human body deteriorates and goes away. So does everything else. But you, the essence of you, is forever. You will have that room with you every single time you come here. It travels with you. The knowledge of everything is inside. Think about these words. Think about the vision. The library of self is in you now. It's not somewhere else. And you have the keys. I am crying in love with humanity. And so it is. are all servants of peace, every one of us. sound of one hand clapping is here, Mother. Greetings. Greetings to the light of the most radiant one in the office of the Christ and only in the office of the Christ. Leaving book the loving energies of Saint Germain and We ask at this time for hope, healing all around the world, healing inside, healing and transformation remembering there's only one of us here and I pass the talking stick back to you mother greeting children of Ra greetings Alcion indeed there is lots of hope <laughs> Healing heaven on planet Earth. What has gone on in the last little while? Yeah. 
commits these divine messengers that are coming in at this moment that is tremendous transfiguration going on at this time. It's about the fifth dimension in our faces as things progress in a most auspicious way. Yes, like Cryon said, there is no death. Gotta transform this. Yeah. It's really true that the physical body doesn't have to deteriorate. No. No. It's about talking to your DNA. Loving the cells. Yes. Extend those telomeres. Talk to them. It's like talking to the force. It's always here. Always listening. As we move through the energies at this time. Once again, our wayward children playing around with the rituals that happen on Sunday. This gladiator game. On Sunday? <laughs> Super Bowl. Oh, that one. <laughs> I was thinking of church. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the church for a lot of people. Super Bowl? Yeah. Yes. It's at this time. Our wayward children are still working at taking the timelines in the wrong direction and they can no longer do that. They keep trying. What is this? It's... Resistance um, is futile. <laughs> right now we can say 
they, like the grandmother said, they're desperate. They need a big enough distraction. There are no more distractions. Well, they took a mini UFO, so they say, out of the sky today. Yes. Tonight. More and more at this time. The deep state. Our wayward children, whatever you wish to call them. They're out of options, except embrace the love that is pouring in from Creator Source. This is the light that is transforming. Every cell, every particle, like Patty talked about. This is what they don't want you to focus on. The sound of one hand clapping. The oneness. That is the place. We are saying, gotta stay there. It's how we transform this present moment. We can say there has been tremendous amount of souls that have taken a quantum leap at this time to lift energies higher when events like what happened in Turkey, Syria. There are waves that go across space-time. In this present now, as we can call it, there is great shifts going on in each one of us as we transform the old energies. Not always easy to hear what's been heard about so many that took a sudden left turn, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The planet Uranus, Uranus does that. It is about 
blessings that are happening at quantum light speed of how we're getting upgraded into the quantum field as more of us awaking to the fact that we are internal, immortal. It shakes things up. It is in this present moment we say work with the energies that are pouring in from creator source to lift things higher there may be more shenanigans they wish to play with in the course of the next 72 hours it's about love always the mother A lot of folks have a very funny way of showing it. They do. <laughs> and this is the unique. Funny, not so funny, Mother. Yes. I mean, just watching Mr. Zelensky trot over there to the UK and make a deal for fighter jets, that's... Uh, Where are we going with all of this? Where they're going is not where we are going. This is a new heaven, a new earth that is happening in this right here, right in this present, eternal, where they're going, it is of a time for reflection, reintegration like Mercury does. Gotta reflect on past actions at the same time. Sitting in Dracos, dealing with the present circumstances. All of it is happening presently. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of killing for profit's got to be ended somewhere. Say what? Killing for profit. That's... I mean, I don't think the human race is uh, for this kind of thing anymore. That like... I just don't see the... uh, the voraciousness of... that is a a thing that's uh, imposed almost. It's this quirky moment we are in that has to do with the limitations of this illusion that's still sort of running called the Matrix. Yes, we know about that. Murdering for profit is an illogical train of thought. It is, because it keeps constant emotional uproar going on. The pain and suffering and the whole infinite samsara. (laughs) That's the loosh they feed on. I know, but why do we keep on thinking and deciding to do the feeding. What is this? It's where you disengage from the matrix, step outside, and walk with the creator source of all that is in any present time, space, continuum in this eternal now it's right here I think mother that they're really I mean now they got pants on the horn and they got they got drunk playing around with papers that I don't know mother it looks like they're going to they're going to lower the boom and I mean accountability's got to start now somewhere we would say try as they may with their rituals of darkness this Sunday the light of all that is is extinguishing that energy which does not serve the needs of the whole. Ron, they say they say the Satan for for president, mother. Oh, that guy. Oh my God. He just banned all the books in Florida in all the schools and the teacher had to get rid of all of their books until he decided to have them vetted and he decides when they can have which book put it back one by one. 
and can take this bog dog and pony show years. I mean, what happened to freedom of speech here? So books like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn probably probably for sure. We'll just say in this present moment they are petrified with what's coming in. And it's the light of all of us, the light of the one true source of all that is the sun. And it is our salvation. Let's put it that way. The solar flares and frequency shifts that have happened in the last little while have moved things up in octave where it is tremendously hot in the kitchen. <laughs> so they need to start some chaos. Hmm, balloons from China, small ships, they shoot out of the sky, stories about electromagnetic pulses that knock out the grid so that China would play with their missiles. All of it is about stirring the pot of fear. The Galactics have this one. You might say we're crazy. Show me the money. Well, yeah. we can see the light at the other end of the tunnel. Uh, you know, light, yes. light. Money with light. That's a good thing. Indeed, mm -hmm. it is about this present moment where we have crossed that threshold. There are more of us that are working with the frequencies of love and compassion than there are those that are stirring the old cauldron of darkness. And they need something. We say, send them more love. It's how we get through this. Violence, war, death. Not the answer. How does that serve anyone except to perpetuate more of the same? Does it work? May the love, light, and power restore the planet on Earth, Mother. Indeed.
better be on our way. Many things to play. We have many journeys to go on. So the message is stay the course, hey? Stay the course. The wind is at our back. And we've already won. Yes! Ah. <laughs> oh, I brought this up to Rama earlier, I think, just to share it with the group. Um, as the galactics come in, they land. They're not going to let Biden start taking pot shots at all the ships, are they? Let's say they're playing around right now with their mm, toys from Area 51. Yeah, that has to do with, you know... Because yeah, as we come in, it's already happening, the wave of light and love that pours in. It's a little hard to fire a cannon when it doesn't work. And we cannot say the hour yet. It is unfolding as we speak. You know, they did shoot... uh Roswell out of the sky. Yes, they did. Those were visitors that came to say, stop the testing of your nuclear weapons. Well, I mean, then in those disclosure uh, days, 2013, those ships, they didn't get to take them out of the sky. They were too fast for them. How come they were able to get away with taking Roswell out? Has to do with the story that needs to be told about in this present moment. Time to put the energies of splitting the atom aside. Fusing it. Ah, nuclear fission. Yeah, we don't need that anymore. It nuclear is fusion. Nuclear fusion. You have the best of the best. It's called the sun. Mm-hmm. Cold fusion. Light. And hmm, there are millions, billions of years yet. Still, as you measure what you call time, sun is not going to go into sunset and no more light. Hmm. the ideas that are played around with 
this all we can describe it as is no more Thunderdome <laughs> it's over we are already manifesting heaven on earth you know the accountability period uh Mr. President, 9-11 was an inside job. What are you doing? Come on. They're doing their thing. Yes. 9-11, what about that? We could say it's being brought up more and more. And inshallah. God willing, now is the time. Send more love. Greetings in the light. Thank you, Mother. Lady. One. Kadosh. 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 Adonai. Savayot. Kadosh. 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 Adonai. Savayot. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabaoth. Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu. Yod, Heh, Lod, Heh, Yavah. Adonai, Asu, Baragas. Namaste, Mother. Blaze the violet fire. Adonai. Momenti to everyone. Hello, Rama. You're back here on planet Earth. Uh, did you want? No, no, no. no. Where? Uh... No. <laughs> oh, doggy, I'm glad you're here. But uh, Rama's back. I did. Rama's back now. His yeah. no way. We were waiting for Robin to get back in his body. You did it. You made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your service, Commander. <laughs> All right, Rama, what you got to say? Where'd you go? Oh, um, I was sitting with... Um, folks from 
Lady and Master Athena's ship. Oh. Yeah. And uh, what were they up to? Talking about the um, present situation with Turkey and Syria, how more and more aid is being brought forth from so many different realms, from the higher realms coming into physical to help with the situation at hand. Are you talking about the quake area? Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, it's 25,000 are gone now. Yeah. It's a big one. Yeah. And then just the message is stay in the high heart and work with the energies of love and compassion for all the souls that took a sudden weep. Yeah, Mother, and there's um, a lot of issues that we're going to be listening to just in a moment. I mean, Rama. <laughs> Rama, Rama yes. Mama, you're all one. We're all one here. There's only one of us here. Yes. So, did you get a message? Where did you say you went? Lady Master Ashina. Oh, that's right. Maybe it's Lady Dina. Master Athena's ship. Your mother. The job. And there was a group of folks that I was uh, listening to and just observing, talking about the maneuvers that are going on to bring aid to the people in Turkey and Syria. Mm-hmm. So we just send that rose ray and that emerald ray. Yes. In that direction. That's good. Okay, so shall we proceed? Yes. All right, everybody. This is uh, time to blaze the violet fire. There's a lot of hard news, you might say. And Not always easy to listen to. And I, I just say, Send more love as we listen to this, because um, it's important. It is. Here we go. From New York, this is Democracy Now! I know there are a lot of Republicans whose dream is to cut Social Security Medicare. Well, let me say this. If that's your dream, I'm your nightmare. In Florida, President Biden blasts Republican Senator Rick Scott for proposing to put Medicare and Social Security on the chopping block. We'll speak to legendary consumer advocate Ralph Nader about efforts to privatize Medicare and Social Security, as well as fighting corporate crime, the launching of his newspaper, the Capitol Hill Citizen, and more. Then the great escape, a true story of forced labor and immigrant dreams in America. The person who called me was, unlike most of the workers who called, he wasn't from Mississippi or Louisiana. He wasn't either white, black, or Latino. He was an Indian man flown in from India, calling from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I thought, what was an Indian man doing coming here to clean up uh, after Hurricane Katrina? 
We'll speak to longtime immigrant labor organizer Saket Sony about how immigrant workers have been lured to the United States and trapped in forced labor to help rebuild communities after climate disasters. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The death toll from Monday's massive earthquakes in Turkey and Syria has passed 22,000, with the numbers exponentially increasing as pressure mounts on the United Nations to provide urgent aid to northwestern Syria, which was already in dire need of humanitarian assistance due to 12 years of civil war and international sanctions. Aid groups have escalated demands on Turkey's government to allow in more cross-border aid and are warning of a secondary disaster amidst worsening conditions in rebel-held areas of northern Syria. Meanwhile, authorities in the hardest hit regions of Turkey have begun burying the dead in mass graves. This is a survivor near the epicenter of one of Monday's two largest quakes. The gravity of the event is very deplorable, doomsday itself. There are thousands of injured and dead. You see, these are graves that are being newly opened. We've already started to bury people here. Believe me, there's no family left without pain. Most people don't even know what to do. We don't know what will happen. Former Vice President Mike Pence has received a legal summons from Jack Smith, the special counsel overseeing criminal investigations into former President Trump. The subpoena reportedly seeks documents and testimony related to Trump's bid to overturn the 2020 presidential election, culminating in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. It's not clear whether Pence will comply with the subpoena or if he'll invoke claims of executive privilege. In Mississippi, a supermajority of white Republicans in the state House of Representatives has approved a bill to establish a separate court system and an expanded police force within the city of Jackson, which is 80 percent African-American in African-American. If the legislation becomes law, it'll place Mississippi's public safety commissioner, who is currently white in charge of an expanded Capitol Police Force in Jackson. Local judges would be handpicked by Mississippi's Supreme Court Chief Justice, who is white, and prosecutors and public defenders would be selected by the state attorney general, who is also white. Voters in every other county court system in Mississippi elect judges and prosecutors. After viewing Tuesday's debate in the Mississippi House Gallery, Jackson Mayor Chokoy Antar Lumumba reportedly said it reminds me of apartheid. Meanwhile, black lawmakers in Missouri are accusing Republicans of racism after House Speaker Dean Plocker, who is white, silenced African-American State Representative Kevin Windham during a floor debate Thursday. Windham was debating a bill that would allow the governor to appoint a special prosecutor in regions with high homicide rates. He was interrupted while reading from a Mississippi Today article about the disenfranchisement of black voters in Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi's legislature is thoroughly controlled by white Republicans who have redrawn districts. Gentlemen, please state your point of order. The gentleman is talking about Mississippi uh, issues, and we're talking about House Bill 301 that's here in Missouri. If you could please stay on topic, I'd appreciate it. After State Representative Kevin Windham continued discussing the Mississippi legislation, the House Speaker cut his microphone and ended debate on the bill. 
The aggressive move prompted outrage among black lawmakers, including Missouri Legislative Black Caucus Chair Marlene Terry. There's a lot of racism going on here. It's racist to, to not allow him to speak. We have to have permission to ask questions on the floor. There's a list that has to go around. You know, we, we're trying to work with them, and it's not working out. This comes after Missouri Republicans recently approved bills limiting public education about race, criminalizing drag shows, adopting a stricter dress code for women lawmakers, and blocked a proposed ban on children carrying guns in public without adult supervision. The Republican-controlled U.S. House of Representatives voted Thursday to overturn two Washington, D.C. bills. One would allow non-U.S. citizens to vote in local D.C. elections. The other overhauls the city's criminal code. Forty-two Democrats joined Republicans in their vote. Eleanor Holmes Norton, D.C.'s non-voting representative, said there's, quote, never justification for Congress nullifying legislation enacted by the district. I can only conclude that the Republican leadership believes that D.C. residents, a majority of whom are black and brown, are either unworthy or incapable of governing themselves. In other news from Washington, D.C., police arrested and charged a suspect after the assault of Minnesota Congressmember Angie Craig in the elevator of her apartment building Thursday morning. Her office said she's physically okay after the assault in which she defended herself by throwing hot coffee on the assailant. Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva is meeting with President Biden at the White House today in Lula's first official visit to the United States since his inauguration as president on New Year's Day. The two leaders are expected to discuss threats to democracy, human rights, the environment, and Brazil's efforts to protect the Amazon. Reuters reports the U.S. government is considering joining the Amazon Fund, which fights deforestation of the Brazilian Amazon. Lula is also scheduled to meet with Democratic members of Congress, Senator Bernie Sanders and representatives of the AFL-CIO. Lula is joined by several of his cabinet members, including Environment Minister Marina Silva, who is expected to meet with Biden's climate envoy, John Kerry, and Brazil's new Minister of Racial Equality, Aniele Franco, the sister of the murdered Rio de Janeiro council member, racial justice activist, Marielle Franco. This comes as Brazil's federal police announced Friday they've launched an operation targeting illegal minors in the Yanomami indigenous territory where communities are facing a humanitarian catastrophe largely due to the disastrous effects of illegal gold mining, which have displaced people, devastated the land, and contaminated rivers and whole communities with mercury. The Nicaraguan government Thursday released over 200 political prisoners, including student and human rights activists and political opponents critical of President Daniel Ortega. The freed prisoners immediately went into exile after the U.S. government chartered a plane from the capital, Managua, and flew them to Washington, D.C. Two declined to leave Nicaragua, including a Roman Catholic bishop who reportedly said he preferred to remain a prisoner rather than go into exile. Among those released was Evelyn Pinto, a human rights defender who was sentenced to eight years in prison last year after she was arrested in 2021 during Ortega's crackdown on dissent ahead of that year's presidential election when he was re-elected for a fifth term. This is Pinto's daughter speaking from Dulles International Airport Thursday as she waited for her mother's arrival. 
My mother is someone who has fought for democracy in Nicaragua, for the rights of children, teenagers, and indigenous peoples. She was unjustly detained by the dictatorship, just like the rest of the political prisoners, on November 6, 2021. In Uganda, five activists were arrested Thursday as they protested the government's decision to close the country's UN Human Rights Office. The activists were from the group Torture Survivors Movement Uganda and said without the UN agency's presence, they felt helpless in the world against actions by the government of Yoweri Museveni. This comes just months after a UN committee said Ugandan forces regularly committed human rights abuses, including torture, excessive use of force, and arbitrary detention. Longtime activist, writer, and beloved baker Jen Angel has died at the age of 48. She owned the popular community-based Angel Cakes in Oakland, California. She was a pioneering force in independent media, a co-founder of Clamor Magazine and Agency, an anarchist media organization. She was also a longtime organizer of the Bay Area Anarchist Book Fair. Jen Angel was actively involved in anti-war and anti-capitalist struggles through the years, including Occupy Wall Street. She died after she was critically injured in a violent robbery in Oakland earlier this week. Mm-hmm. In a statement, Angel's family and friends wrote, quote, We know Jen would not want to continue the cycle of harm by bringing state-sanctioned violence to those involved in her death or to other members of Oakland's rich community. As a longtime social movement activist and anarchist, Jen did not believe in state violence, carceral punishment, or incarceration as an effective or just solution to social violence and inequality, unquote. Jenny Angel's family has asked traditional prosecution be avoided in her case and alternatives such as restorative justice be employed instead. And David Harris has died at the age of 76. A key leader of the draft resistance movement of the 1960s, Harris actively encouraged young people to resist being conscripted into the Vietnam War. He served 20 months behind bars for his own draft refusal. He spent four of those months in solitary confinement for organizing prisoner protests demanding humane conditions. Joan Baez, his wife at the time, wrote a song for David while he was in prison. David Harris died of lung cancer on Monday at his home in Mill Valley, California. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. When we come back, we speak with longtime consumer advocate and presidential candidate Ralph Nader. But first, Joan Baez singing song for David. i 
by Joan Baez. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. President Biden traveled to Florida Thursday, where he blasted a proposal by Republican Senator Rick Scott of Florida to require Medicare and Social Security be reauthorized every five years, which would put the future of the programs in doubt. Biden spoke in Tampa. I know that a lot of Republicans, their dream is to cut Social Security and Medicare. Well, let me say this. If that's your dream, I'm your nightmare. Biden also focused on the future of Medicare and Social Security during a State of the Union Tuesday night. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. As Congress member Marjorie Taylor Greene, another Republican, shouted liar, um, President Biden continued to speak. Well, to talk more about this and many other issues, we're joined by the legendary consumer advocate, four-time former presidential candidate Ralph Nader, who's just launched a new newspaper called the Capitol Hill Citizen. Ralph, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. If you can start off by talking about uh, Medicare and Social Security. It's the Republicans who are going after it in a deep way now, uh, led by Senator Scott, and you can tell us his connections to um, for-profit health um, industry in this country. Uh, but it wasn't always just Republicans. Well, Republicans oppose Social Security and Medicare from the get-go, and they've always been preying on it, uh, trying to corporatize it, trying to get its funds invested in the stock market and Wall Street. And uh, so there's nothing new. Senator Scott, who in his prior work headed a giant uh, hospital corporation that was criminally fined uh, by the federal government, has no shame about that. He is proposed that it be uh, Social Security and Medicare be sunsetted uh, every five years, among other health and safety laws. In a report he put out as the chairman of the Senate Republican Re-election Committee last year. So there's no ambiguity about that. But the Democrats are very defensive. For example, the real problem with Medicare is being corporatized with the assistance of the AFL uh, and AARP. It's called Medicare Advantage. We call it Medicare Disadvantage. So over half now of the elderly beneficiaries under Medicare uh, are under the corporation's uh, health plan, like United Health Care, Aetna, and Cigna, and others. That's the problem. They're bordering under Medicare and corporatize it while the Democrats are accusing Republicans of going after Medicare. And the same with Social Security. Congressman John Larson proposed uh, last year an uh, increase in benefits. There haven't been an increase in benefits in 40 years. And he chided the Democrats in the Senate saying, make the Republicans filibuster. Make them get on the Senate floor under the television and show the American people what they're up to. But the Democrats didn't do it. So it's always unfinished business by the Democrats. It's easy to go after the Republicans on this, 
and they go after the big healthcare industry, the drug industry. Ralph, that's speak. very interesting, and I just want to say to you, as you are speaking to us, we are showing an image of page nine of Capitol Hill Citizen. Uh, Medicare for all is the answer, but Bernie Sanders backs away, you write, uh, or the staff writes, um, and it says AFL-CIO AARP push Medicare disadvantage. Explain. Yes, this is the program supported, I might add, by both Republicans and Democrats in recent years in Congress uh, to, under the alleged claim of greater efficiency, uh, to let uh, contracts be uh, given by Medicare to the large health insurance companies, as I mentioned, United Healthcare, Aetna, and they take control. And so they put ads all over. I mean, you can't believe last year. Saturation ads to elderly people in every medium possible. Uh, basically saying, come into Medicare Advantage. You can get gym privileges, etc. But they don't say that they get trapped in a network of doctors and hospitals. They lose their free choice of hospital and doctor. And claims have to be approved by a bureaucracy established uh, by these uh, insurance companies. It's called prior authorization. It drives doctors crazy. It takes away their uh, ability to minister to their uh, patients. Uh, and uh, they have a higher denial of benefits. That's why we call it Medicare disadvantage. And you can't get a hearing in Congress. Uh, you know, Bernie uh, denounced it. Uh, uh, others in the House denounced it. But they don't go any further. They're into the denunciation game. you got to really take it on. Because while we're not seeing the Democrats push single payer, which they should be, even though they are for it, they're watching the destruction of Medicare as we know it. I want to go back to Biden's State of the Union, um, where he talks about taxes. I'm a capitalist, but pay your fair share. I think a lot of you at home, a lot of you at home agree with me and many people that you know. The tax system is not fair. It is not fair. Look, the idea that in 2020, 55 of the largest corporations in America, the Fortune 500, made $40 billion in profits and paid zero in federal taxes? Zero? Folks. Simply not fair. Can you talk about these proposals from uh, taxing corporations and billionaires to oh, those who make like four hundred thousand dollars or more? How many times do we have to hear that from Democratic presidents? It's, it's you know, ditto, ditto, ditto. They don't do anything. What you should exactly. say is that the Democrats are going to repeal the Trump tax cuts of 2017, which are costing uh, the Treasury over a trillion dollars because most of them are tax cuts to the super wealthy and the global corporation. No, he never even mentioned it. He, he never goes. He never goes to the next step. He, it was a Pelosi Wellesley speech. He talked about bipartisanship. What he should have said directly to the American people. You see all these good things I mentioned uh, that the Democratic Party are for, and that the polls show majoritarian support for, like paid child care, paid family sick leave, uh, consumer protection, etc. You see why 
Uh, why why aren't we getting this through Congress? Well, take a look at the Republicans. They're the no party. They say no to all of these things. He would have drawn the line. Instead, he plays palsy-wellsy uh, with these Republicans who uh, uh, know what they want and, and are very determined to get it, which is no to social safety net, no to peace movements, uh, no to controlling Wall Street, and no to renewable energy, no to... Um, the right to vote without being repressed. Uh, he doesn't uh, go into that. It's a very disappointing speech. It was a, a laundry list uh, without uh, new ways on how to get it through Congress. He never appeals to the American people to come back on Congress. That's why uh, we started the Capitol Citizen, uh, because the, the, the reporting on Congress is totally official source journalism by the mainstream press. And the Capitol Citizen digs in and shows how Congress is addicted to war, how they've given up constitutional powers, such as the war declaring power to the presidents who can start wars on their own and do whatever they want abroad to advance the empire. Uh, we showed how they really didn't move to protect the IRS so that they have a decent budget to go after these gigantic uh, escapes, uh, tax escapes and avoidance. So if people can get a copy or more of the Capitol Hill Citizen by going to CapitolHillCitizen.com and donate $5 or more. You get your issue. You can get more issues for your friends and relatives and work uh, workers, and you'll get it first class. 40 pages, the most recent edition of the Capitol Citizen. And it, doesn't have, it, it doesn't have ads by Big Pharma. It doesn't have ads by the uh, offensive weapons industry. Uh, it has book ads that are progressive. So, Ralph, I'm looking at the front page of corporate of the Capitol Hill Citizen. I want to just start um, with the tagline: "Democracy dies in broad daylight." An obvious mocking of the Washington Post that says democracy dies in darkness. Talk about democracy dies in broad daylight. Yes, of all these things Congress is not doing is, is quite important. I mean, if you make a list of all the justice causes you've had on your program, Amy, over, over half uh, either have to go through Congress or are going to be blocked by Congress. We have to spend much more time on the 535 members of Congress because the way our Constitution is set up, uh, most national progress under law whether it's health care or tax reform or uh, cutting the military budget or waging peace uh, or public works uh, or the social safety net, the answer is it's got to go through Congress. And yet there's so many protests and demands that go up in the ether around the country without laser being back on Congress. And that's why we have this Capitol Hill citizen is to show it's all about Congress. And Congress has to be captured by the people instead of being controlled by 1,500 corporations who swarm the corridors. I mean, there are more full-time lobbyists by the drug industry on Congress than all the full-time lobbyists for all the national citizen groups by far in Washington, D.C. Ralph Nader, so I want to talk about the front page article in your January edition. Um, why no criminal investigation of Caterpillar after workers' death? The headline, 
The Thermal Annihilation of Stephen Dierkes. It's written by Russell McIver. There's a photograph of Stephen on the cover. And it begins by saying, on June 2nd, 2022, 39-year-old Stephen Dierkes, father of three young girls, checked in for work at the Caterpillar Foundry in Mapleton, Illinois. It was ninth day on the job. Dierkes was taking a sample of the 2,600-degree molten iron when he tripped and fell into the vat. There was no guardrail. There was no protection to keep him from falling in. Capitol Hill citizen obtained a copy of the Peoria County's coroner's report, cause of death, thermal annihilation. Can you talk more about this and about worker deaths in this country? Well, uh, worker deaths are up, according to OSHA, uh, last year. Uh, they're slated at about six, almost 6,000 traumatic deaths, but there are well over 50,000 work-related deaths due to diseases caught, uh, on the premises, such as uh, uh, respiratory diseases, particulate matter, exposure to uh, all kinds of uh, silent forms of violence in these industrial workplaces. And Stephen Dirks uh, was not protected by guardrails. Imagine he was taking a sample with a pole and a cup at the end of the pole of molten iron at 2,600 degrees Fahrenheit, a vat. And somehow he stumbled, nothing kept him from falling in, and he was thermally annihilated. OSHA gave the maximum fine of $145,000 to the giant Caterpillar company whose foundries in Mapleton, Illinois. There is no felonious provision in the OSHA. We lost that fight in 1970. It's only a misdemeanor. So you have a willful uh, situation that results in death, willful um, homicide, corporate homicide, and it's only a misdemeanor. And instead of taking this tragedy of Stephen Dirks as a George Floyd moment, the corporate homicide is far more prevalent in numbers than police homicides, bad as they are. The AFL stayed silent. The United Auto Workers, which has the uh, workers organized in that plant, has not done anything. Congress and the members of Congress from the district and the Senate, they haven't said anything. And it's very typical of occupational death by trauma and disease. These are the silent deaths, the silent funerals, the silent burials. Uh, Over 400,000 coal miners have died for their company in the last 100 years to coal mine coal miners' pneumoconiosis, not to mention shaft collapses at the at the mines. So the Capitol Citizen highlighted this, and there's nothing but silence from Congress. So you also, really, in, in uh, the article, the in the article, um, it says that Dirks was the second person to die at the Mapleton Caterpillar Foundry in just six months. No criminal investigation. As you said, the civil fine, $145,000. Um, what can Congress do to turn this around, to deal with the rise of worker deaths on the job and the lack of accountability of corporations? Well, there is a bill that the Democrats have proposed, led by Congressman Joe Courtney from Connecticut. But it's the same old story. They put the bill in, they put the press release, uh, they put their finger to the congressional wind, and then they do nothing. 
It's called press release legislative proposals. The Democrats are very good about that. What they should do is generate rallies outside Congress. They should go to the floor of the Senate with powerful speeches. They should go back home and talk about it. Uh, but they don't do that. But there is a bill, Protect Work, uh, American Workers Bill, it's called. Uh, and people might be interested in reading about it in the Capitol Citizen. There are all kinds of things that uh, democracy dying in broad daylight, as you said, is the motto of it. Uh, there are a lot of taboos. The, the corporate control of the Congressional Black Caucus is staggering, just staggering. Uh, and that's why we have very few investigations uh, of the inner city and what's going on in terms of the exploitation of African uh, Americans. We have uh, the confessions of a Starbucks wage slave. She called herself a Starbucks wage slave from West Virginia. Is an interview. I've never read anything like this. She said, I'm not talking about the workplace. I'm talking about the deadly stuff we have to put in our concoctions and, and, and feed to people who don't know that there are some concoctions, concoctions that have 16 teaspoons of sugar in one glass. And uh, it's a very uh, sensitive... Well, this, is a, this is the last page of Capitol Hill Citizen, the last word, confessions of a West Virginia Starbucks wage slave. Like 60% of Americans, I live paycheck to paycheck. But then the pull-out quote is, a venti, or large peppermint mocha, has 10 tablespoons of syrup in it, just under half of the cup is filled with syrup, then there are espresso shots and steam milk, then sweetened whipping cream. It's the equivalent of 16 teaspoons of sugar in each cup. And the Congress has done very little on junk food regulation. That's created so much harm, especially to youngsters, uh, youth diabetes, overweight, uh, high blood pressure. Uh, these food companies have been documented, and they know what they're doing over the last decades, bypassing parental authority and guidance, undermining the parents, direct marketing to these kids. It's a half a trillion dollar industry a year, uh, Amy, and they don't do anything. So we, we want this capitalcitizen.com. Go get some copies. Spread the word. We've had a tremendous response to it so far around the country. So, Ralph, can you talk about the role of local media and why you decided to launch this newspaper and also um, the sort of kind of Luddite nature of it? I mean, do you, are all the articles on a website? We're doing a print-only uh, newspaper because there's too much clutter, too much interference, distraction. We've tried putting out our reports and other materials uh, on the internet. It's like a massive void. No matter how many people have access to it, it's uh, too much, uh, too much clutter, uh, too much noise. So people write back and say, "I can't believe I'm holding a real newspaper in my hands. No clutter, no interference, no distraction. Thank you." So uh, we think that uh, there's a study coming out in about three months, a very uh, scientific study showing that people, including students, retain more when they read something in print than when they see it on the screen, among other interferences, which my sister Claire Nader has pointed out in her new book, You Are Your Best Teacher, Sparking the curiosity, imagination, and tweens. This is a real crisis here of the internet wardens, the 
internet gulag uh, abducting our children five to six hours a day into the worst kind of experiences, increasing teenage depression and many other things. And we have to wake up to it. And, and we have to wake Congress up to it. Whether we like it or not, Congress is the linchpin for democracy or autocracy. And they're giving up their power uh, to the executive branch to generate war and to express their fealty to Wall Street. Finally, uh, we just have 30 seconds, but the, um, not exactly death, but the absolute diminution of local media in this country? Local media is dying because of lack of imagination and community organizing. There's no reason why communities can't have a, a weekly uh, with a nonprofit community newspaper, three streams of revenue, subscriptions, advertisements, and charitable contributions. And we're trying to prove it by launching this month the Winston Citizen. I was a paper boy for the Winston Evening Citizen. It had six issues a week, every day but Sunday. And now uh, there's the towns in Connecticut don't even have a weekly. So we're launching the Winston Citizen. Uh, Associated Press just wrote an article on it. Well, Ralph, we're going to link to the Winston Citizen and also Capitol Hill Citizen. Again, it is a paper newspaper. Uh, its motto, Democracy Dies in Broad Daylight. Ralph Nader, longtime consumer advocate, corporate critic, former presidential candidate, founder of this new newspaper, Capitol Hill Citizen. When we come back, longtime labor organizer, Socket Sony, and the Great Escape, a true story of forced labor and immigrant dreams in America. democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we turn now to the issue of labor coming to this country uh, and being trapped here as the rate of climate-fueled disasters intensify as we spend the rest of the hour looking at the immigrant workers lured into forced labor by corporations who hire them to clean up after hurricanes, floods, blizzards, and wildfires. This is what longtime labor organizer Socket Sony writes about in his new book, The Great Escape, a true story of forced labor and immigrant dreams in America. Socket Sony is the director of Resilience Force. He first joined us in 2007 when the story was still unfolding with a man named Sabulal, one of hundreds of guests workers from India protesting conditions at a shipyard. They were hired to clean up in Pascagoula, Mississippi, after Hurricane Katrina by the company Signal International. When I stepped into my man camp, which is provided 
in the yard of uh, Signal International. I just surprised that because uh, uh, in my 20 years of experience, I didn't uh, meet such a situation because um, there was 24 people in a room. Like I think it's a pig in a case. The men were fired when they complained about their living and working conditions, but they didn't stop there. Sakat Sony recently joined us from New Orleans to share more about the great escape he documents in his new book. I asked him to take us back to 2006 when he received a mysterious call from an inside a heavily guarded work camp in Pascagoula, Mississippi, where hundreds of welders and pipe fitters have been recruited from India to come to the Gulf Coast to repair oil rigs after Hurricane Katrina. Thanks, Amy. Um, that's right. It started with a mysterious midnight phone call after Hurricane Katrina. I was a labor organizer running a scrappy, small workers' rights nonprofit. And um, this was a time when the post-Katrina flooding had turned the U.S. Gulf Coast into the world's largest construction site. I was protecting the workers who were doing the cleanup and the rebuilding. Most of these were black and brown workers who would stand in the morning under a giant 60-foot-tall statue of Robert E. Lee when contractors would pick them up and take them out to do the rebuilding of the distant dark corners of the Gulf Coast. That's what I was doing. Um, those are the workers I was talking to when I got the mysterious phone call. Um, the person who called me was unlike most of the workers who call, he wasn't from Mississippi or Louisiana. He wasn't either white, black, or Latino. He was an Indian man flown in from India calling from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I thought, what was an Indian man doing coming here to clean up uh, after Hurricane Katrina all the way from North India? Uh, I discovered that he was one of 500 workers who had been recruited to come to Mississippi and Texas to work for a large oil rig builder to clean up, rebuild shipyards and oil rigs. Um, and when he arrived in the Gulf Coast, he found himself in atrocious conditions. These men had been promised green cards and good jobs in India and had been um, told that they would get those if they paid $20,000 a piece. $20,000. I mean, that is generations of savings. Workers sold ancestral land. Um, they took on um, extraordinary loans from violent loan sharks to come. But when they arrived, they found themselves not on green cards, but on temporary work visas in labor camps in company property. And talk about the security uh, on the company property, not exactly security for them, but for the company signal that still exists, right? Well, um, the company Signal International decided to build a labor camp on company property. Um, this was a series of trailers that were uh, placed on a toxic waste dump. Um, the workers were living there, 24 people to a trailer. Um, the labor camp, which the company itself called a man camp facility, was surrounded by a barbed wire fence. Workers were working uh, around the clock in 12-hour shifts um, to build these um, oil rigs for the company. Uh, this was a private equity-owned rising behemoth in the Gulf Coast, uh, Signal International. And they were getting these workers, the most skilled workers in the world, at a fraction of the cost 
of U.S. workers. Um, there were security guards. The men were only allowed out of the labor camp, chaperoned by American security guards. And the places they were allowed to go to were Walmarts, uh, where they would buy uh, provisions to come back. That's how the workers lived. Those were the living conditions. What about the food? The food was atrocious, atrocious. Um, the workers were given most mornings uh, stale bread and frozen rice. There were no microwaves, Amy, on the work site. So the way the men would eat the frozen rice would be to suck on it. The work would, the men would suck on frozen ricicles um, in order to gain the sustenance um, uh, to do their really difficult and dangerous work. In fact, the whole great escape, the the uh, escape out of a heist film that's at the center of the book, uh, was actually imagined and engineered over a secret of uh, over a, a series of clandestine meetings that featured food. I started partnering with a man deep inside the labor camp, uh, a worker named Rajan, someone who is um, he was a labor organizer's dream. He was extraordinary. He taught me about the pressures on the men. He taught me about the conditions at the labor camp. But he also taught me to cook. And over a series of months, I would smuggle into him spices and ingredients um, to create Indian food. He commandeered the kitchen in the labor camp. And through a series of magical meals, um, he brought the men back to life from their catatonic state. And he convinced them then uh, to undertake the great escape uh, at the center of the book. Um, I, I don't want to give too much away, but um, oh, it involved... Oh, you have to. You have to tell well, us the story of what happened. Well, uh, it, you know, it, it involved bribes for the guards in, uh, in, in, the, you know, involving wild turkey whiskey, flavored cigars, and Rajan and I created an elaborate pretext, a fictitious Indian wedding, uh, to ferry the men out of the labor camp five at a time under the noses of the guards to put them on the path uh, of a freedom journey. The men um, escaped overnight from the labor camp, came back the next morning, threw their hard hats in protest uh, back at the company's gates, saying uh, that they were leaving the company. And then they set off on a march to Washington. What we didn't know then uh, was that there was uh, an, an agent uh, deep in the government who was unraveling our plans. But but we set off that heavy morning um, uh, for Washington, thinking um, that justice was at hand. And take it from there. Can you tell us the journey that they took? Sure. Well, um, when the men escaped from the labor camp, um, they filed a civil lawsuit against the company. Um, but the path to legal status for them was a Department of Justice human trafficking complaint. Human trafficking is a crime. And the men were alleging that this company and their recruiters had trafficked them from India um, to Mississippi and Texas uh, and held them in forced labor. Uh, the men were counting on the Department of Justice opening an investigation. We now had, uh, I personally now had the problem of hiding 500 brown men in Louisiana. So we, we hid out in a hotel in New Orleans that uh, had been 
um, ruined by Hurricane Katrina, flooded by Hurricane Katrina. Um, we hid for over a week, but there was radio silence from the DOJ. So we set out, like many people in social movements past, we decided to come out of hiding and come out as undocumented uh, to the government. And we proceeded on a march to Washington. Along the way, we met with civil rights figures who gave us strength. And um, although the men had it hard, I mean, we were walking uh, on the sides of roads through Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, uh, passing cars were full of passengers who were jeering us. Bottles were being pelted at the workers uh, from open windows and passing cars. But nonetheless, the men's spirits were high because they believed that when they got to Washington, they would get justice. In their particular English, they actually called it the Department for Justice. Um, and, and they believed they would just get to Washington um, and, um, and they would get the status uh, that they deserve, the special humanitarian visas designated for trafficking victims. What we didn't know was that the fight would take three years because deep inside the government, there was a federal agent, an immigration cop, with his own corrupt ties to the company and with his own secret motivations to unravel our plans. On our way to Washington, we uncovered surveillance uh, and we uncovered uh, a whole federal dragnet that was working its own machinations to jail and deport these men even before they got to Washington. So, Saka, you have to stop there because what are you talking about? There's someone in the Justice Department who has a tie to Signal Corporation? Not in the Justice Department, but at the federal immigration agency called Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, there's uh, an ICE. immigration cop who lives ICE, who lives in Mississippi, um, who has his own motivations um, for colluding with the company. So now that the workers are on their march and headed to Washington, he appoints himself as the investigator for the DOJ. Mm. When the Department of Justice launches an investigation, they bring in um, a, a law enforcement official to investigate. We've been waiting at this point in the story for ICE to bring in the FBI. We did get a call from the FBI, but after that, they were nowhere to be found. When the investigation actually did start, an ICE agent came forward to tell us he was in charge of the investigation. And again, I don't want to give a lot away, but this very ICE agent had his own ties to the company, had been working for, with the company for for years and years, um, and now was in charge of the investigation. What he was doing, though, Amy, was, uh, we'd find out later, wasn't uh, investigating the workers. He was turning the investigation into uh, a weapon against the workers. He was trying to frame the men we were representing, the 500 Indian workers, as the criminals, um, and uh, working to jail and deport them. And so... This is not just a story of a corporation that is exploiting, that is, to say the least, um, not just terrorizing, but deeply abusing these workers. But it's a story of corporate government complicity. Talk more about what the government knew, what the government did and didn't know along the way. Well, you know, in the right at the middle of the story, uh, there's this smoking gun that 
that we find. Um, it's the astonishing revelation uh, of a long-standing collusion uh, between Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE uh, police, uh, and the company. And, and it really gets at, Amy, what we see all the time. I've seen this for years and years in my uh, work as a labor organizer uh, after disasters and also across the South, which is that companies have at their behest um, cops who moonlight as private security, immigration agents uh, who work deeply with the company uh, to keep workers feeling like they can't come forward and report abuse um, because they might be deported, they might be punished. In this story, um, when a few brave workers came forward to meet with me clandestinely, and after that, these brave workers demanded things from the company, not anything major. Their demands were hot tea in the morning because they get up in the morning in the cold and need to warm themselves to go to work. They demanded microwaves on site so that they could um, warm up their frozen rice. These were their collective demands. I mean, it is a sad day in 21st century America when workers have to press collective demands, not for union rights, respect, and a contract, but for microwaves on site in their labor camp on company property uh, to uh, warm up their rice. Those were their demands. And for making those demands, uh, the the company worked with uh, law enforcement agencies uh, to punish the workers. And that was um, the details of that revelation were ultimately uh, what blew all this up in Washington. And I, I tell that story in The Great Escape. And talk about what happened when the workers and you, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of workers who escaped from a Mississippi labor camp um, uh, there to clean up after Hurricane Katrina. And then they make their way to Washington. What happens there? Well, one of the things that happens is we're coming out of um, a civil rights uh, memorial on the way to Washington. And uh, we look up and we see a man surveilling us. We see a man recording us. Um, there's a chase scene that's uh, recounted in the book up to the top of the building, around the block, and all the way to a parked, uh, what looks like a parked uh, construction van, uh, a contractor's van. I thought it was, uh, you know, some kind of self-appointed white vigilante operation and flung open the doors of the van. Inside it was the Alabama director of ICE conducting a surveillance operation. So, you know, uh, that was when it came to light that, that the ICE dragnet was surveilling us. As we got to Washington, um, we realized that the conspiracy between the government and uh, the company went deeper and deeper. It wasn't just one or two ICE agents, but a whole network um, of, uh, of uh, law enforcement officials that surveilled us all over again uh, in Falls Church in Virginia, right as we were going into uh, Washington. So, you know, what, what we were very clear about coming into Washington was Washington wouldn't be easy. DC would be a fight. Um, when the campaign hit the rocks in D.C., um, my partner, Rajan, and I, uh, over an elaborate meal, uh, came up with the next escalation. 
Uh, Rajan cooked our, you know, we had become close friends. Every friendship has its rituals. We never solve problems uh, over a whiteboard. We, we solve problems over extraordinary meals. And one night uh, that's recounted in the book, uh, Rajan cooked uh, an elaborate, mysterious uh, Bedouin dish called al-Kabza. It has uh, rice, meat, and 22 spices. And we came up with a plan over that meal for a hunger strike in Washington, D.C. And that was the next step. We, uh, we, I recount the story in the book about a long hunger strike over the course of which all of Washington is talking about these workers. But the ICE agent uh, blocking our plans holds steadfast. Um, so even in D.C., even with the world watching, even with the Department of Justice investigating, uh, the company... Uh, and its uh, allies in law enforcement were still strong enough to hold back um, our our justice march uh, and uh, you know and keep the workers uh, undocumented and on a pathway to being deported. So, Sakatsoni, in this remarkable story that you tell, the Great Escape, um, you. Bring us back to 2005, Hurricane Katrina, the cleanup. But 2005 is a few years after the 9-11 attacks, 2001. Can you talk about what happened with ICE, with DHS, the anti-immigrant fervor in this country? Um, And then what these guest worker programs are all about. Well, 9-11 was a very pivotal um, moment for America. It was a a tragic event, but followed after that by multiple other tragedies. Um, One of the impacts of 9-11 was that immigrants lost their foothold in normal American life. Um, Immigrants like me, I came to the United States as a foreign student before 9-11. I was actually uh, uh, in Chicago. I arrived from New Delhi to Chicago to study at the University of Chicago. Uh, I was getting a theater degree. My parents were probably the only parents in the history of Indian civilization uh, who said it was okay for their son to go to America to become a theater director. And that's what happened. That's what I was doing when I missed an immigration deadline. Um, that was before 9-11. So I, I just took it as um, a routine thing, something I could fix. Um, I didn't think it was more serious than an unreturned library book, and I had a lot of those. And then 9-11 happened, um, and I lost my foothold in America, like lots and lots of immigrants. Um, we were underground, working without papers, um, you know, uh, doing our best to a uh, a string of low-wage service sector jobs. Um, 9-11 was also a pivotal moment uh, for immigration policy. Um, immigrant rights activists were really close to immigration reform uh, and a large-scale legalization before 9-11. Um, those plans uh, were gutted after after 9-11 because of the anti-immigrant backlash uh, that was not connected to uh, the perpetrators and motivations behind 9-11, but, but came from an opportunism in American politics uh, to uh, congeal uh, an anti-immigrant sentiment uh, 
in, in America, a sentiment that only grew after that. So 9-11 was a really, really, uh, really, really uh, great turning point. As you publish this book now, um, we're right on the end of the catastrophes in, uh, that California is experiencing. Your book, you know, takes place in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, uh, which many see as the dawn of the era of climate disasters. But can you talk about the connection between what happened then right through to now and what you're looking at with, to say the least, um, uh, the knowledge and organizing you have behind you. Absolutely. You know, what I didn't know then, Amy, was that these workers uh, who came from India um, were among the first workers um, that would be a rising workforce, workers who we now call the resilience workforce, uh, the workers who largely immigrant, uh, largely undocumented, mostly vulnerable, uh, the workers who rebuild after uh, climate disasters, the workers who continue to clean up, uh, repair, heal, and rebuild after hurricanes, floods, and fires. Um, the workers who I represented after Hurricane Katrina, the workers who would uh, you know, gather under the statue of Robert E. Lee in uh, New Orleans, or workers like the ones in this book who were in labor camps, were among the first resilience workers. Um, Katrina was supposed to have been a once-in-a-hundred-year flood. That's what it was called, uh, an event that would not happen for another hundred years. Well, since Katrina, um, as a result of climate change, disasters have become more frequent uh, and more destructive. There have been, since Katrina, over $200 billion disasters. And as disasters have grown, this workforce has grown. And these workers do all this without legal protections, without legal status. Uh, they often uh, have to fight to be paid. Um, and, and if they fall off roofs, they're often left at the doorstep of hospitals uh, for Dead. This is how we're doing recovery in America. Um, and that's what we at Resilience Force uh, are trying to change. Sakat Sony, director of Resilience Force, author of the new book, The Great Escape, a true story of forced labor and immigrant dreams in America. Special thanks to photographer Ted Quant. And that does it for our show. Happy birthday to Messiah Rhodes. Democracy Now! is produced with Renee Feltz, Mike Burke, Dana Guster, Messiah Rhodes. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman asking you to support Free Speech TV. It's $5 Friday. We are particularly looking for uh, donors to make a pledge of $5. This is the first $5 Friday of 2023. The first five people every half hour will get an FSTV mystery box in the mail. Monthly donations help sustain and grow Free Speech Speech TV so that it can reach more people across the country for many years to come. You can join now with as little as $5 a month. You could just make a $150 donation if you want, um, and then you'd be able to get the book Never Forget 
Our people were always free. A parable of American healing by the former head of the NAACP and also president of People for the American Way, going to be executive director of the Sierra Club, Ben Jealous. It's an amazing book. It's just out. It's yours for $150. If you pledge right now, but $5 Friday is about sustaining free speech TV at whatever level you can. Please, on this first $5 Friday, call 877-378-8669 or go to freespeech.org. Are you already a member of the FSTV Sustaining Donor Community? Thank you so much. But you can also participate today by increasing your monthly gifts to FSTV by $5 or more. So maybe you're already pledging at $5 a month. You could become a $10 a month donor. Remember, you may be one of the lucky ones to get an FSTV mystery box in the mail for starting a new monthly donation today. Thank you so much for building a more just, equitable, and sustainable world by supporting people-powered media. Call 877-378-8669. That's 877-378-8669. Easy to remember because it's 877-FS-TV-NOW. Or just go directly to freespeech.org. You can sign up in a matter of minutes. $5 a month is all Free Speech TV is asking. Or maybe you're already doing that. You want to go to $10 a month. Or maybe you want to do just a one-shot deal of $50 or $100 or $150. Where you can get Ben Jealous's brand new book, Never Forget Our People, We're Always Free. A Parable of American Healing. That's right. Uh, ben Jealous actually is cousin to both Thomas Jefferson and Robert E. Lee. And the stories he tells in this book, you will not forget. 877-378-8669, 877-FS-TV-NOW, or go to freespeech.org. You can also do something else. You can text the letters FSTV to 44321, you know, like you're texting anyone. But instead of their number, you text FSTV to 44321. It'll link you up directly with the donation page of Free Speech TV, and you can make your monthly donation there. Again, $5 Friday is about your monthly donation, but you can do it other ways too. If you say, nope, I just want to do a $100 one-shot deal or $50 one-shot deal or $25 or $150 and get Ben Chalice's book, you can do that, too. Um, but we are looking, especially for new monthly donors, are looking for monthly donors to expand their contribution to independent television. Think about the programming you hear as we talk about the issue of freedom of speech, freedom of the press. I mean, it took a while, but the New York Times, the Guardian, El País, Der Spiegel, these newspapers have called for the Biden administration to drop the charges against Julian Assange. Because when we talk about freedom of the press, it's very important to talk about his case. Here is a publisher who faces 175 years in prison if he is sent back, if he is extradited, not sent back, he's an Australian citizen, to the United States, faces trial and is convicted. He faces 175 years in prison. And yet you have the document scandal of both President Biden, former President Trump. But this man, Julian Assange, who published vital information 
about what could well be U.S. war crimes in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. It's clear why the powers that be don't want this kind of information out. But that's why Daniel Ellsberg became so famous. Dan Ellsberg, the most famous whistleblower in the world, because he felt to end the war in Vietnam, documents needed to be released. We urge you to go to the phone right now, 877-378-8669, or go to freespeech.org. But do it now. Make that call. And at 2 Eastern Standard Time today, I hope you go to democracynow.org, where we'll be live streaming the Belmarsh Tribunal on Julian Assange, which I'll be co-chairing in Washington, D.C. That's 2 p.m. today. 877-378-8669, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. 877-378-8669, or go to freespeech.org. But do it now. Make that call. We cannot do this without you, only with you. $5 Fridays. Please be as generous as you can. Just $5 a month would do it, or increase a donor subscription by $5, or pledge $100 or $150. I'm Amy Goodman. Thank you so much. Hey, happy Friday, you bastards. It's $5 freaking Friday, you bastards. $5. So what does that mean for you? Well, that means that you can now start being a sustaining donor for the low, low bargain basement price of $5. And today only, if you start a sustaining donor subscription where you agree to give $5 monthly to Free Speech TV, we will send you a thank you gift, a mystery box thank you gift. That is for today only. So visit us at freespeech.org now. All right, that's the end of that. <laughs> okay, so we are going to go to our brother, Robert. Oops. Oh. A near insurmountable barrier. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. All right, um... Moving along. Down here somewhere. Um. Hmm. Okay, let me just pull it up a little bit higher. There it is. All right. There it is. Speech.org. of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives and those of our children. I'm your host, Richard Wolf. Today's program is going to be talking about collective bargaining for public employees, about a strange old billionaire, Bernie Marcus, who founded Home Depot and has something to tell us uh, we will be able to smile about. A little less funny is the failure of the corporation Southwest Airlines over the Christmas New Year holiday, and we'll have quite a bit to say about that. 
And then a little bit about that remarkable uh, George Santos candidate from the Republican Party. And in the second half of the show, we will have our guest, Chris Hedges. I think we have a really good show for you today. So let's jump right in. The National Labor Relations Act gave workers in the United States uh, back in the 20th century the right to strike. It was understood to be foundational to democracy, putting aside how long it had taken this so-called democracy to give workers that right. But if you read the National Labor Relations Act, you will quickly see that one very important group of workers was not covered by it. In fact, several groups of workers were not covered. Domestic workers, uh, people who work in situations like that, that had a lot to do with non-white workers in this country, female workers in this country. But the group I want you to think about now are public employees. That's right. Millions and millions of people who work for cities, towns, government, states, the federal government weren't covered under the National Labor Relations Act. That was left up to each state. So it took even longer, decades in many cases, for public employees to struggle long and hard over lots of opposition to finally get that right in a democratic society. Some states still don't have it. North and South Carolina have banned public employees from being in unions, and that may have something to do with the fact that union membership is 2% of the labor force in those states. Virginia allowed a few years ago public employees, uh, but they left it up to each individual city or town or region, and so that has to be fought for too. Why am I mentioning all of this? Uh, it's a commentary on how slowly and difficult it is to get democracy for working people. And that's always been true in capitalism. And I'm hammering at that. Uh, let me give you the worst example in a way that I can think of from the top of my head. We have a minimum wage, a federal minimum wage in the United States, $7.25 an hour. Yeah. Not only is that horrible to imagine trying to live on that, but it hasn't been raised since 2009. That, well, that 14 years. Over that time, prices have risen 20, 25% at least, but not the minimum wage. So the minimum wage could buy less and less and less, as well as being horribly low. Why is that? Do the mass of the working people of America not want to get paid better than 7.25? Of course not. The overwhelming majority of Americans want a higher minimum wage. Who blocks it? The Republican Party, number one. The business community, number two. And why do I tell you that? Because it has always been the case. The capitalist, the employer class has voted against and worked against every step of improvement for the mass of the working people. When they couldn't stop it, they delayed it. When they couldn't delay it, they would reverse it. Basically, this minimum wage story is a story of reversal. You had to give them the minimum wage, and it's only back to the 1930s when it first began, 
but by not raising it with inflation, you are in a way reversing it. You're making it worth less and less than $7.25 an hour. And why am I telling you all of this? Because in the year just over, 2022, a remarkable number of people who defend capitalism, that's what they do often for a living, came up with this one. And it's not new. We are all supposed to like capitalism, they tell us, because over the last two or three centuries, people's standard of living has risen. Well, that's true. It has. But that's not to the credit of capitalism. That's outrageous. It's been the capitalists who blocked it, who slowed it, who reversed it at every step, like with the minimum wage. It takes a certain amount of arrogance to block the improvement of the condition of working people. And then when you lose your effort to stop it, to slow it and to reverse it, you then want to claim credit as if you had done it out of the goodness of your system. You didn't. And nobody should be fooled. The founder or one of the founders of Home Depot, a man named Bernie uh, Marcus, 93-year-old billionaire. According to Forbes, um, he's worth five and a quarter billion dollars, at least in a recent year. He made a lot of headlines recently, uh, not for supporting Donald Trump and uh, Florida Governor DeSantis, to whom, by the way, among other Republicans, he has given $64 million in recent years. No, he got a lot of notoriety because he said American workers, hear me out now, are fat, lazy, and stupid. Those are quotations. And when he was asked why does he feel that way, what's causing this, he said it's socialism that has caused all of this. Didn't quite explain how that works, and the mystery will stay with us. Uh, And he also blamed creeping wokeism. They just don't work hard the way they once did. And Bernie doesn't like Harvard, and he doesn't like people with masters of business uh, administration degrees. He thinks uh, Joe Biden is the worst president in American history. (laughs) Wow. You know what comes across listening to this uh, billionaire elderly gentleman? He does understand that capitalism is in trouble. And so he wants to do what strikes him as the important thing to do about capitalism and trouble. Blame the workers. Blame the working class. That's what he is doing. Mm. So now let's go back. He gives $64 million to Republicans to fight what he opposes. Fight socialism. Fight wokeism. Fight the horrible President Biden, all of that. And I want that to be understood by everyone, because that's where the Republicans, and a good number of Democrats too, that's where they get these ideas. You might wonder, why do they say those things? They say them because their donors believe that, because their donors give them money, because they repeat what the donors believe. Mm-hmm. And the big business donors in this country are more like Bernie Marcus of Home Depot than you might imagine. Mm-hmm. That's the type. And that's where these ideas 
that you may find bizarre come from. Maybe out of the mouths of the Republicans, but the idea, the source, the cause, big business. That's the way it's been. That's the way it is now. I turn next to the horrific stories. You all saw them on television or heard about them. Southwest Airlines across the Christmas holiday, New Year season, they canceled vast numbers of their flights, stranding huge numbers of, of people uh, in airports for unmentionable numbers of hours or days, messing up people's Christmas travel, their Christmas time with relatives and friends. The, the horror was everywhere. I want to talk about that so that we are clear about what the problem is here. And like with Bernie Marcus at Home Depot, the problem is with big business, not with the weather. The lame effort of Southwest Airlines to blame the weather, which, by the way, was the same weather that didn't do the same thing to Delta, United, American, and all the rest of them. <laughs> what an effort. Blame the weather. Extraordinary. Well, it turns out that, and I want to get these numbers right, so you know, 38 states out of the 50 st attorney generals had written months earlier to Southwest saying, you are in bad shape. You are not in a good place to service the people of America who need to fly. Change what you're doing. A few weeks before, 34 attorney generals sent a follow-up letter. The union complained about insufficient union workers to manage what could happen. They knew. They knew. Did they spend the money to hire the extra workers they might need? Did they spend the money to have the backup in the event that weather became a problem. This is not the first time we've had bad weather in the United States. I'm trying to be polite here. No, they didn't. But they did have time to do something else. They increased their dividends to their shareholders. They made sure to pay their CEO his $9 million a year salary right on time. And you know, during the pandemic, they got, just so you know, $3.2 billion of American taxpayer money to help them through. And their payback, give more money to their executives, give more money to their shareholders, and strand tens of thousands of people across. You leave these important functions in the hands of big business, that's what you get. But I'm not done. I want to turn next to the Secretary of Transportation in the Biden government, Pete Buttigieg. What did he do when the state attorney generals were talking to the airline about all this? Nothing. What did he do when they sent a second letter follow-up? Nothing. What did he do even as this was unfolding uh, in the week before Christmas? Nothing. When it blew up, oh yeah, then we heard how he's concerned concerned how he is going to make sure that the airline reimburses people. What? That's it? 
This is like sending a message to every other transportation or any other company that this government is not going to punish you. Here's what he should be doing. He should be going around and saying, if this, if a plan isn't forthcoming in three weeks from Southwest that, that guarantees this will never happen again, we're taking over the airline. We're going to reorganize it. It's going to be run by the workers on the one hand and the customers, the flying American public. And we're going to have a council, and they're going to monitor the airline, and they're going to make sure. And they're not going to pay dividends, and they're not going to pay fancy salaries unless and until they do what they're supposed to do. Then we would have a government that regulates. Pete Buttigieg should be ashamed of himself and the Biden administration. Failure to do your job, that's what all this is about. And what can I say finally about George Santos, the phantom Republican in New York's third congressional district who has lied apparently about literally everything in his life in order to win that election. For me, it's just a sign of what advertising has done to our culture. Advertisers don't want to tell you the truth about whatever it is they're selling. They just want you to buy it. They tell you whatever is good, and they hide whatever is bad. And that's what Mr. Santos did. And when he didn't have enough good to tell you about, he hid the bad and he made it up. It's just the next step in what advertising has done. Advertising is the creature of capitalism. And that's why we're critics. We've come to the end of the first part of today's show. Please stay with us. We will be right back with author and journalist Chris Hedges. For those of you who may not know, Economic Update is produced by Democracy at Work, celebrating 10 years of critical system analysis and visions of a more equitable and democratic world. For example, my book, Understanding Marxism, presents an accessible overview of Marxism as well as an argument for the power and usefulness of Marxist criticism of the capitalist economic system. It's available in multiple formats, and you can get your copy from our website, democracyatwork.info slash books. There you can also learn about the work we produce, sign up for our mailing list, follow us on social media, and support all that we do. And for those of you who are already part of the growing community of supporters, thank you for helping us make all of this possible. Please stay with us. We'll be right back with Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and author Chris Hedges. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's economic update. It is with great pleasure that I bring to our microphones and our cameras a frequent guest on this program, Chris Hedges. He's the author of 14 books, including several New York Times bestsellers. He's also a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who was a foreign correspondent for 15 years for the New York Times, where he served as Middle East Bureau Chief and Balkan Bureau Chief as well. He hosts the Chris Hedges Report and is a columnist at Sheer Post. Okay, let me jump right in, Chris. Uh, uh, dispense with thanking you uh, for your time, which we all appreciate. You're a seasoned journalist, to say the least. How do you assess the urgent issues that are addressed these days by the likes of the New York Times and the Washington Post. And by urgent issues, I really mean three things. The Ukraine war, 
the U.S.-China conflict, and the risks these days spoken of of a nuclear war. Well, the New York Times does what is, it has traditionally done, along with the Washington Post uh, and all of the other mainstream media outlets, and that is serve as a cheerleader for the war industry. Uh, that's nothing new. Go back to Iraq, uh, the uh, invasion of Iraq. Uh, that That is the role that they have uh, always played and continue to play. Uh, the coverage out of Ukraine is quite disturbing. I covered many conflicts. Uh, it's very clear that it's tightly controlled by the Ukrainians so that reporters and camera people are taken out to visit a town that's been recaptured or driven up for a couple hours to the front line and then driven back. It's the old system of minders, the traditional dog and pony shows uh, that really uh, shapes the message uh, or allows the Ukrainians to completely dominate uh, the message uh, in terms of the war. I mean, we have pretty credible reports that there's been reprisals against uh, by the Ukrainians against people who are suspected, accused of being Russian collaborators. I've uh, spent enough time in any war zone to tell you that once chaos envelops a landscape and war, uh, both sides lie like they breathe, both sides commit atrocities. Sometimes those atrocities are dominated by one side or the other. That was certainly true in the war in Bosnia. Uh, but we're not really getting any serious coverage. And when there is an attempt at more nuanced coverage, such as CBS did when they uh, filed an investigative piece that estimated that only 30 percent of the weapons being shipped into Ukraine. Remember, the United States has now provided $100 billion in aid to this proxy war. That's almost double uh, the size of the budget of the State Department. So, of course, utter insanity. Uh, but uh, that there's no accountability for these weapons once they cross the border into Ukraine. And uh, they are, uh, I think, according to the CBS report, which they hastily had to take down, uh, they uh, are ending up in the hands of warlords, black marketeers, uh, and, and the Azov battalion. Who knows? Uh, it's, it's not controlled. There's no audit. Even the Pentagon admits there's, there's no oversight. Um, in terms of Taiwan, uh, you know, the, the uh, Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, this, uh, this is a way, of course, to create tensions with China. And that's what keeps the budget, especially for uh, the, the, the uh, huge uh, budget handed to the Navy. I mean, it's all about uh, creating enemies. I mean, I go back to 89, Gorbachev, uh, I was in Eastern Europe, Gorbachev, uh, wanted to build a security and economic alliance with the United States and, and Europe. Uh, but if there was no enemy, there was if Russia was an enemy, they were going to make it Russia an enemy uh, because uh, there would, would be no excuse to expand NATO. Indeed, NATO, which was uh, designed to prevent Soviet expansion into Eastern and Central Europe, should have been disbanded after uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union and all of the revolutions, which I covered in Eastern Europe. So... Uh, it, it's the war industry, unfortunately, drives policy. The two parties are completely captive to it. We just passed this gigantic military bill, $850 billion, $45 billion more than the Biden administration requested. Uh, and that, if you read traditional accounts of how empires self-destruct, uh, hollow themselves out from the inside, 
It is unchecked, unregulated, rampant militarism. That's not what destroyed the Roman Empire. I mean, by the long list, the Ottomans uh, and everyone else. So um, we are following that trajectory. And, and on the issue of war and on the issue of militarism, and of course we've militarized internally our own society as we've destroyed it economically, uh, there's no daylight between the Democrats and the Republicans with this caveat. There's more opposition to that budget among the Republicans now than there is to the Democrats. AOC, to her credit, voted down this big $1.7 trillion spending bill that included that military budget that I mentioned. She voted against it, and uh, 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 Talib voted uh, uh, present. Uh, but you had far more opposition among the Republicans. Some of them are nutcases, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, etc., uh, but, you know, the Democratic Party is uh, fervently behind war and controlled by the war industry. And that is utterly disastrous because, of course, it's flirting with uh, two nuclear powers. I mean, the, the, I cover wars. I can tell you, you don't control them once they start. Uh, they control you. And one mistake, when I go back and read Barbara Tuckman, I mean, you can stumble into uh, global suicidal conflicts very, very easily. I'm here to, I never thought I'd be in this position, hold up the words of Henry Kissinger, who has warned that there has to be negotiations quickly, uh, that the whole idea of, uh, of allowing Ukraine to recapture all of Ukrainian territory, including the eastern part of the Donbass, where you have ethnic Russians, uh, it, it, even the New York Times has said this is a, a not a realistic uh, reality or a realistic uh, goal, um, yeah, we're in a we're and, and and I just to end. I mean, there's no like the 20 year debacle in the Middle East. These people have no uh, thought as to where this is going to lead. There's, as far as I can tell, no goal other than degrading <coughs> Russian military forces and and hopefully driving Putin out of office. All right, let me switch the focus a little bit. Donald Trump, it appears, is in a process of some sort of decline as a political force in the country. And there is a governor in Florida who seems to be aiming to replace it. How does all of this strike you? Well, DeSantis is more dangerous because unlike Trump, he's confident, uh, you know, like Pompeo or Tom Cotton or these others, uh, Trump, with or without Trump, it doesn't, we, we will still, we still live mired in this, political divide, political morass with these political distortions because of what the two parties have done to the economy and to the livelihood of working class men and women. I and mean, that's what's driving this, largely the white working class that feels dethroned, displaced, which they have been, uh, the uh, in incredible accumulation of wealth by this oligarchic elite, which is unlike anything we've seen. I mean, you know, going back, we'd have to go back to, I don't know, Rome or, you know, Pharaonic Egypt or something to see this kind of wealth. Uh, I mean, the Rockefellers had a few billion. Um, our billionaire class has 180 plus billion. Uh, it's, uh, and, and that's social inequality. You don't have to take even political science 101 uh, to uh, understand that that social inequality creates uh, uh, these kinds of um, messianics, right-wing populists, neo-fascists, that, that's, that's what is vomited up from a society that no longer functions. It's what I 
witness when I cover the war in Yugoslavia, go back and look at Weimar Germany, it's the same. So uh, Trump, with or without Trump, uh, the, the problem isn't going to go away until we address the social inequality, the st- political stagnation, and the fact that corporate power has seized every institution, including, of course, the media, uh, and, uh, and deformed them to serve their predatory interests on everybody else. So, so and we've got inflation. Uh, the Biden administration has been unable to fulfill even its most tepid campaign promises, build back better, the uh, $15 minimum wage, uh, the, uh, you know, the ability of, uh, of uh, care to be provided to the working class, et cetera, et cetera. So, in fact, in some ways it's worse than Trump because the supplemental packages have all evaporated, including, of course, they're lifting the moratorium on uh, foreclosures and bank repossession. So, it's a, it's a very fraught and difficult time. 2024, with or without Trump, is still going to be very ugly. Do you think it will include the white supremacy dimension of all of this? Yeah, well, that, that's key. Because what happened, this is what happened in Yugoslavia. You, the economic collapse of Yugoslavia, uh, you, you strip people of their sense of place and dignity and work within the society, then they reach out often for a fictional identity. In the case of Yugoslavia, that was uh, Serbian ethnic nationalism or Croatian, and it resurrected the Ustasha and all the old symbols and everything else. Uh, in this case, it's, uh, it, it is the idealized golden age of white supremacy, neo-confederacy. Uh, that is, has, what attra- has attracted uh, the white working class and created this vast divide where uh, how many people voted for Trump? Was it 74 million or something? I mean, I mean, it's a lot of people. And, 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 and like Yugoslavia, once people fall into that fantasy world, which it really is, there's no communication because uh, with, the, that, that, the, with the other side, they're both grounded now in, in separate realities or even, in, I would argue, in, a, in non-reality Based belief systems. The Democrats are guilty of this with Russia Gate, as if you know Russia was responsible for electing Trump. I you'd have to pluck your eyes out or something to believe that. So uh, that it's 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 a very precarious moment. It's very fragile. It's very dangerous, and we can't ignore the fact that the country is awash in weapons, in not just weapons but automatic weapons. I grew up in Maine. My relatives are all hunters. You don't carry AR-15s into the woods. They're useless for shooting down a deer. The caliber of the bullet is too small. So, I mean, unless you, I guess you want to pepper the deer with, you know, 10 or 15 bullets or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, these are weapons, they're assault weapons. And, and that, uh, the school shootings are what they're averaging more than one a day, a school or, you know, mass shootings are averaging more than, well, this is a society that's deeply, deeply disturbed. And, and unfortunately, the Biden administration, other than funding, you know, pumping these massive resources into Ukraine or the military, is not responding. There's this political stagnation is, is extremely dangerous, coupled with the fact that because we have an uncontrollable uh, militarism romping around the globe, uh, you know, talking about defending Taiwan and bringing down Putin, it's, it's a really, really dangerous time. Yeah, you kind of wonder how long the fantasy can keep generating its own raw material before at some point it begins to dawn on people that 
that this is all one kind of large dead end. Uh, we're running out of time. Do you see anything on the horizon that might break us out of this? Yeah, labor, the one, the only weapon we have left by which we can begin to push back against these forces is organized labor and strikes. And we do see movement. Unfortunately, we just watched the Biden administration revoke the collective bargaining power of the railroad union, one of the few uh, unions that retain that right. Um, so we, we know where the Democrats are from, but I would say strike, strike, strike. That history has shown that is an effective weapon and the only one we have left. Could not agree more. Chris Hedges, thank you very, very much for your time, for your insights. And I know that my audience appreciates it as much as I do. And to all of you, I look forward to speaking with you again next week. All right, everybody. Well, it's a pleasure to listen to Chris Hedge. It's been a long time. So now tell us what we have here, Ron. What's this? Does our cerebral cerebral spinal fluid give us being by Mauro Zapatera alright does our cerebral spinal fluid give us being Zapatera his last name Mar Mauro Mauro alright here we go this is 22 minutes this SAND conference is the Emergent Universe. And during this session and our longer session, we'll be discussing your emergence embryologically and the resultant fluid ocean within you. My name is Mauro Zapatera. I have all my degrees listed above there. I did my MD PhD at Harvard Medical School. I also studied polarity therapy, craniosacral therapy and Reiki during that time period. I now have a private practice in Pasadena, California, where I practice physical medicine and rehabilitation, and I work at the Los Angeles VA healthcare system. The title of my talk is The Cerebrospinal Fluid, Connecting to the I Am. The I Am to me is that inner sense of beingness, your perception, your inner perception of your existence. And I love that Maurizio gave the introduction of how this talk was inspired. And if you come to the longer talk, you'll see more inspirations. Numerous artists have depicted our energetic bodies manifesting as physical form. Many times there appears a vortex or some sort of swirling energy with a condensation or differentiation of that energy from some source energy to a focal point in the center of your brain. 
This presentation will be on the embryonic fluids and the cerebrospinal fluid as a potential conveyor of this energy to our physical bodies. In your brain right now, this is a fact, there are fluid-filled cavities. These are called ventricles. At the center of your brain, at the same location of your third eye, your brow center, there's a cavity called the third ventricle. The third ventricle is an exact midline space. Its boundaries are the pituitary gland in front and the pineal gland in back. The thalamus and the hypothalamus on the sides. The space in between these structures in this space has been called the crystal palace by Taoists and the cave of Brahma in some Hindu yogic traditions. This space is filled with fluid. It is the cerebrospinal fluid. What is the cerebrospinal fluid? The cerebrospinal fluid is a clear fluid that bathes the brain and the spine. It occupies the cavities within the brain called ventricles seen here. It covers the outside of the brain, anything that you see in blue. It also travels down the central canal of your spinal cord. In your spinal cord, you have a central canal. It's a hollow tube, it goes all the way down. And it also bathes the outside of your spinal cord. In you, in each of you right now, you have 150 milliliters of cerebrospinal fluid right now in your body. It turns over three to four times a day. You produce this much CSF in one day. Here's a sagittal or side view of an MRI of an adult human. The CSF is colored in red. From this image, you can see how it bathes the entire outside of the brain as well as the spaces inside and the entire outside of the spinal cord. Our central nervous system is floating in and being bathed by this fluid. Interestingly, the cerebrospinal fluid goes all the way down to the sacrum, but the spinal cord ends at what we call lumbar vertebrae two. Just keep this in mind for future slides. Where does this fluid come from? This is you, this little black spot right there. That was you, each and every one of you as an embryo. You see the amniotic fluid on the top, you see the yolk sac, and you see the chorionic fluid. Look at how you are essentially developing, surrounded by fluid, enclosed in fluid, and totally supported by fluid in your embryologic development. You were organized and created by fluid. So where is the CSF? The CSF comes from the amniotic fluid through a process called neurulation. And I'm going to point here. Okay. And then once it's fused in 19S, you get no more mixture. So the amniotic fluid is on the outside and the cerebrospinal fluid is on the inside. Initially, your embryonic brain is a hollow fluid filled vesicle with cerebrospinal fluid on the inside of the tube and amniotic fluid on the outside of the tube. As you develop, the brain and spinal cord enlarge and differentiate and the cerebrospinal fluid continues to bathe the inside and outside of your entire central nervous system. So here you are as a tiny little embryo, completely surrounded by fluid, 
as you start developing awareness as an embryo, you are bathed in this primordial fluid, the amniotic fluid, in your mother's womb. Starting with the amniotic fluid and slowly differentiating into the cerebrospinal fluid. Now in you, in each and every one of you, it bathes your entire central nervous system inside and outside your brain, traveling all the way down the central canal of your spinal cord, all the way down to your sacrum. So what is the role of the CSF? Let's take a view evolutionarily. It is actually thought that the CSF system evolved as a way to receive signals from the environment required for the functioning of the nervous system. Evolutionarily, brain cells on a starfish in the ocean that make contact with ocean water are very similar to the same cells that are found on the neural plate that I mentioned before. Throughout evolution, as there becomes a closure of the body plan and sort of an internal and external environment begins, such as a sea worm, the cells that are contacting the inside of the sea worm are similar to the cells that actually form the neural tube. In the sea worm, it gets mixture of the internal of the external seawater and an internal seawater. There's still that mixing of fluids. Very similar to what I described, the cerebrospinal fluid mixing with the amniotic fluid prior to complete fusion. Evolutionarily, seawater is the first internal fluid environment of the brain. These cells that contact the surrounding fluid have a special role of receiving and transforming information from the fluid, whether that is ocean water like a starfish or CSF invertebrates like you and I. Our ancestral CSF is seawater. So how did I become so fascinated with the CSF? It started looking at this slide. In this section through the head of a human embryo at eight weeks of development, you see the developing brain. I did not know what this structure was inside this sort of space. So I asked my colleague who said that was the choroid plexus. Well, the choroid plexus produces CSF. If the structure that produces CSF is so large, I knew that the CSF had to have an important function developing. Our developing nervous system is essentially bathed in this fluid. From our research and other people's research, we can say that the CSF provides essential survival and growth factors to the embryonic and adult brain. And it provides a fluid niche for neural stem cells for survival, proliferation, and differentiation. So from a biological, purely molecular perspective, the information in the CSF, whether that information is coming from a protein, a hormone, a growth factor, or any molecule, is being conveyed to the brain via the fluid. We published an article in the journal Neuron, and we designed the cover image for that based on our vision of the CSF. What you see here is the continuum from an embryo to the adult. This change in color represents the changing proteins that are necessary throughout those individual time periods for your brain. But the blue essence, the light of the CSF, that represents a continuum of energy within the fluid that is ever present regardless of age. So the majority of the roles in the CSF that we know about today are listed here transports nutrients and hormones, it regulates the circadian rhythm, it regulates appetite, provides guiding cues for cell migration, instructs stem cells to proliferate or differentiate, creates an ionic balance, eliminates waste, 
supports and protects the central nervous system, creates a buoyancy and shock absorption for the brain. What else could it do? Here we see two quotes from Dr. Randolph Stone, the founder of Polarity Therapy, a holistic healthcare system. The soul swims in the CSF. The cerebrospinal fluid seems to act as a storage field and a conveyor for the ultrasonic and light energies. This is a quote from Dr. Sutherland, one of the founders of cranial osteopathy, who said this about one of his teachers. Dr. Still envisioned the cerebrospinal fluid as an intermediary in the movement of divine intelligence, a channeling of creation into embryologic segments and irrigating them with life, giving form and function and order and intelligence to our existence. Just as flower remedies demonstrate that water is able to absorb, store, and transmit energy of plants, or as Dr. Emoto showed, that water could store the energy of words, the cerebrospinal fluid may absorb, store, and transmit the essence of the source and allow us to experience and be aware or conscious of our beingness. As I mentioned, the CSF covers the entire outside of your brain. Let's take a look at the CSF on the inside and allow the structure of the ventricles to help us understand its function. Why are the ventricles of the brain formed the way they are? The blue structures you see here are the ventricles in your brain. Pretty interesting structures, okay? This is the lateral ventricle. Why does it have to make contact with the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, the occipital lobe, and the temporal lobe? Why is there this little beak back here that actually has to go back and project into your visual center of the brain for optic? Why is the third ventricle here created such that it has this little beak that goes all the way out and contacts the pituitary gland? Or this little structure in back that needs to make contact with the pineal gland? What do the cells look like that contact the CSF? This is a scanning electron microscope image of the wall of the ventricle. So the inside of the wall of the ventricle that making contact with the CSF. What we see is that these cells have cilia on them or what we call some slender-like antenna. These cilia can beat to create fluid-like movements. They're also like little antenna monitoring the fluid. They have receptors on them to pick up information. What are some of those receptors? There's photoreceptors that, in, that pick up information about light. There's chemoreceptors that pick up information about growth factors, ions, hormones. And there's also mechanoreceptors that pick up information regarding the flow, movement, and vibrations that are actually occurring in my head. Just to give you a sense, two important molecules that are found in the CSF are melatonin and DMT, each derived from tryptophan and believed to be released by the pineal gland into the CSF. Melatonin regulates sleep-wake cycles and important for circadian rhythms. DMT is found widespread in the plant kingdom. DMT-containing plants are used widely for shamanic rituals to produce powerful psychedelic near-death and mystical experiences. And the endogenous function of DMT is still not known. However, it is hypothesized that it's released at birth, death, and during vivid dreams. Imagine, therefore, for a minute, that the CSF, as a vehicle of transmission of information, quickly something gets released in the CSF. It can transmit that, single, that signal to multiple parts of the brain simultaneously using no synapse with total synchronization of your brain at once. After I gave my talk a few years ago, many people wrote to me and described a fluid-like wave bathing their spine, rising from the sacrum to the crown during a kundalini awakening. So I was touched, so I wanted to touch on that for a moment. 
The kundalini in yoga theory is a primal energy located at the base of the spine. Some say residing in the sacrum like a sleeping serpent, serpent waiting to be awakened. Yogic practice of kundalini is awakened and physically moves up the central canal, the shushumna, to reach the third eye and subsequently the crown chakra for awakening to, to occur. Could, this, could the CSF actually be a transporter of this primal energy? Let's take a look at some of the anatomy. The sacrum is a large triangular bone at the base of your spine. The origin of the word comes from the Latin os sacrum, which means sacred bone. The end of the spinal cord, as I mentioned, is approximately L2, and the CSF goes all the way down to about sacral level two or three, shown there. Interestingly, there's a filament called phylum terminale that goes all the way from the bottom of the spinal cord to the coccyx. Remember, within the spinal cord, there's a canal filled with fluid that goes all the way up the spinal cord, middle of the fluid, into your third ventricle. Some people claim there's a small fiber even within that canal of the spinal cord that is made of condensed CSF proteins that goes all the way to the pineal gland. Here are the words of Swami Vivekananda. See how these words relate to the anatomy that was just described. According to the yogis, there are two nerve currents in the spinal cord column called Pingala and Ida, and a hollow canal called Shushumna running through the spinal cord. At the lower end of the hollow canal is what the yogis call the lotus of the kundalini. They describe it as a triangular in form. In the symbolical language of the yogis, there is a power called the kundalini coiled up. When that kundalini awakes, it tries to force a passage through this hollow canal. And as it rises step by step, as it were, layer after layer of the mind becomes open and all the different visions and wonderful powers come to the yogi. When it reaches uh, when it reaches the brain, the yogi is perfectly detached from the body and mind. The soul finds itself free. The left is the ida, the right pingala, and that hollow canal, which runs through the center of the spinal cord, is the shushumna, where the spinal cord ends in some of the lumbar vertebrae, a fine fiber issues downward, and the canal runs up even within that fiber, only much finer. The canal is closed at the lower end, which is situated near what is called the sacral plexus. Vivekananda mentions the Ida and the Pingala and Shashumna. These are the three main nadis. Nadi comes from Tamil, meaning nerve, blood vessel, or pulse, or Sanskrit, meaning channel, stream, or flow. Ida lies to the left of the spine, Pingala to the right of the spine. Shashumna runs along the center of the spinal cord. Some images have the Ida and Pingala doing a helix crossing, the Shushumna, and at each intersection is a chakra. To me, Ida and Pingala represent the pineal and the pituitary glands. The Shushumna coming up from the center of the spine is a tube full of cerebrospinal fluid, all meeting at the third ventricle, that fluid radiant space in the middle of our head, the crystal palace, the cave of Brahman. It is the space where the marriage of the yin and the yang energies of the pineal and the pituitary gland come to perform a perfect harmony within the fluid of that space. It is my belief that this is the place for the birth of the I am in physical form, where through dispersion of the energy within the fluid, our entire brain is simultaneously bathed within the differentiated fluid from the source, providing the synchronous unified experience and awareness of our true essence. Another practice related to the CSF is the Kachari Mudra, which some people contacted me as well. The Kachari Mudra is a yogic practice where the tongue is rolled up to touch the hard and then the soft palate. 
Then with practice, it is inserted behind the uvula into the nasal cavity behind the palate. This may take months or even years of practice. (laughs) Once inside the nasal cavity, the tongue can stimulate nerve centers that are connected to the brain. This produces a liquid that emanates from the roof of the cavity. That liquid has been called a nectar or amrit, which flows from the roof of the navel cavity. Amrit is a word for Sanskrit meaning without death or immortal, which bestows immortality. This muda has been described to allow people to experience the vast expanse of consciousness when they taste this nectar. So how is this connected to the CSF? Well, here's your tongue, this muscle down here. This is your uvula. This is what you see here, the olfactory bulb. This is what you smell with. The olfactory bulb nerve fibers come through the cribriform plate. The cribriform plate is all bathed in CSF. And here's your nice little pituitary gland sitting. The spaces that you see up here is all cerebrospinal fluid. Could the amrit or nectar be the cerebrospinal fluid? I believe it may. Evolutionarily, the CSF system evolved as a way to receive signals and transmit information. Our ancestral CSF is seawater. So imagine your connection to the fluid that surrounded you as an embryo to the fluid that is bathing the inside and outside of your entire central nervous system right now, to the totality of all the fluid in all the oceans that have ever been present in history. It's not showing, it's fine. It, there's a clear light coming from the from the inside. Does it show? Oh, it does. I don't see it. Imagine, therefore, this fluid bathing the inside and outside of our brain and spine, being a perfect vehicle to transmit information to the brain, whether that is melatonin to help us sleep or DMT to help us have vivid images and experience holistic states of consciousness, or as the fluid conductor of source energy to our physical bodies to transmit the experience of our I am, our beingness, as well as be able a vehicle for cosmic consciousness, that awareness of the universal mind and one's unity with it. I'd like to thank my wife, my son and daughter, all the sand organizers, Maurizio Zaya and Lisa, Nisargadatta Maharaj, my PhD advisor, Chris Walsh, and Maria Lettinen, who I worked with in the lab, Dr. Randolph Stone, Jeannie, and Jeffrey Wilson, all of you, the CSF, and life. Thank you, everyone. We have a little extra tech on here, uh, and I know that uh, Rainbird has a strong stamina, and uh, we will make it. So, 
I am going to pass this talking stick to you, Rainbird, for some wise words to all of us. I know you have what is coming to you to share now. And <laughs> the Emerald Serpent Feathered once got an inspiration on this talking stick. Here it comes. Angels, fairies, feathers. Okay, I got it. All right. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything tonight. Thank you. And, and we're going to do more this afternoon, so let's just do it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Thank you, sister. <laughs> yeah. Hasta la vista. I'll see you this afternoon. I passed this talking stick. Here it comes. Okay, Rama, what you got for us? This is Rumi in oh. silence. We'll get to listen to a little roomy tonight. Here we go. Turn each of your thoughts into a bard 
and let them fly to the other world. One is an owl, one is a falcon, one is a crow. Each one is different from the others, but they are all the same in silence. is 
Until we meet again, everybody, aloha. Um, there's so many voices bringing in the light. And you're so grateful. See you in your dreams. On the bridge, I'm hearing the call. Satnam. Satnam ki. Ah, homie takuyasin. Thirteen thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil. Live long and prosper. Namaste, everyone. Aloha. Aloha.